Welcome to episode 92 of the Panoramic Outdoors podcast. We are cruising our way into the month of August here. We are pretty much one month out from, from archery season. Archery opener here in uh, for Whitetail in Manitoba, which is kind of sweet, exciting. Um, whoever's going to listen to the, this podcast is going to call me out for sure because I just started getting into shooting my bow now warming up tuning it in and uh, i got a couple couple new parts on it that i'm super pumped about and uh that's kind of been my motivation to get back in and start start flinging some more arrows so um that's kind of exciting for me but across the table from me right now my brother tristan how's it going man i am i i believe the kids use the term vibing because like we just did our first in-person podcast that we have done maybe in a year and a half. I, I can't remember the last time. We, we were literally like racking our brains to think about last time we had someone sit down next to us and talk about something they love. Mm-hmm. Normally it's done over the computer these days and uh, it, it, it felt uh, new, it felt exciting, and uh, but it, it was so engaging. So I'm super excited for the episode we got coming up. Um, but yeah, overall I'm doing good. I'm a little concerned. We haven't got much rain in Manitoba lately. Lots of fire happening because of the lack of rain. Uh, water tables getting low, and uh, that ha- I feel like that has some implications not for our food sources, like on the whole. Like the garden needs more water. Um, some stuff's doing well. Some stuff's not doing so well. And uh, I feel like the game animals are going to be changing routines a little because of the the current conditions in our environment. Yeah, it's uh, it's strange times, man. It certainly, is strange times. And the thing is, to like to kind of put stuff into perspective, like lots of uh, I guess I mean Manitoba here. There's lots of sloughs and stuff that I'm sure lots of animals will find some water, but. Um, I know out west where there's like uh, um, like sensitive herds of sheep and, and, and stuff like that where they have water tanks out for these animals in the mountains and stuff. And uh, I guess they do some supplementary filling of these tanks later on in the year by helicopter. And, and I think they're doing it like two months ahead of schedule now to get water up to these animals. So it's, it's kind of crazy uh, to think about that and to put kind of puts it into perspective i guess we're kind of lucky here in manitoba in some ways although the drought has brought on a lot of other uh poor aspects for for manitobans in general and wildlife yeah i'm sending out uh some some thoughts to our, our farmer friends here because it's been a hard season for them for sure and uh you know we work closely with a lot of farmers in manitoba here to you know, maintain positive relationships. We've been interconnected with them for such a long time. And I just, uh, I, I hope for their sake that we get some rain and it, it, it might even be too late at this point in time, I think, but, uh, whatever can be done to help them like make it through here. I, I, I looking at the farming landscape, like I just hope that those family farms that have been kind of clinging to it here for the last little while are, are able to make it through because there's such an important piece of the Manitoba uh, fabric, I feel. Mm-hmm. Totally. But like uh, shifting away from that, like, um, you know, there have, have been some positive aspects 
lately here. We've been uh, opening up in Manitoba. We did our first podcast, as I mentioned, uh, you know, the other month there. I got away to Big White Shell there. And, you know, Chase, we used to have a cabin out on that lake. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I remembered significantly less of that lake than uh, than I actually did. When I got on that lake, I was like, oh, this isn't how I remembered it at all. <laughs> it's a long time ago. Yeah. And you know what? The the really discouraging part was, you know that dock we would sit on at the campground and just slam walleye yeah. on in the evening? The, all the decking was missing off of it. <laughs> oh. Yeah, the dock was toast. <laughs> we, Chase and I would slam walleye off this dock in the evening. Um, can't tell you how because it's top secret, but... Um, people would come crowd us i remember in the evening and we would shift down to the other section of the dock start catching fish and then they would crowd over there again (laughs) um but yeah i had a hard time figuring out the lake and you know what did it for me i landed up being i i tried everything i tried jigging bottom balancing spinners uh tried switching up the presentation with the jigs and i switched over to a couple x wraps I was running those, and I don't know if it was the the front moving in, but man, where there's some beautiful walleye slamming that. And let me tell you, there's nothing, there's no better feel feeling in the world than a, a shield walleye just absolutely smashing a, uh, a crankbait on you. That's fun, man. Yeah. The hookups are awesome. That's pretty tough to beat. Um, what kind of size of fish were you guys latching onto there? I would say it was nice. It was like this like kind of just perfect range where we're like hooking into anything from about 18 inches to about 22 inches. So like, and they were, they were pretty thick fish too. So like Mm -hmm. they weren't scrawny by any means. Um, so just really healthy golden fish. Yeah. Um, not something I'm ever going to complain about in my lifetime to be clear. Yeah, no kidding. It's been a while since I've, I've targeted walleye on, on a lake other than the, the two major lakes here in Manitoba. So, man, I guess me thinking I miss those, those shield lakes. I miss the colors of, of the, the walleye out there, the, the black and the gold and the deep green that they are. Yeah, man, they're beautiful. I guess another consequence, and I, I don't know how you feel about this, of the, of the kind of like uh, dryness and around all Canada really is that we've had some burn bans on lately and like it's gone to the point where we can't like even really run the the pit barrel because you need like a controlled ignition source right yeah actually there was uh we had a bit of a break in uh a little bit of rain come through there not long ago and some of the some of the burn bans were lifted and uh we had a chance to fire up the old pit barrel and we went uh, camping with it, and I made a uh, a pulled wild boar with it sandwich, and I smoked that sucker for eight hours like I normally oh. do those babies. Man, it is so hard to beat that. It is it was pretty crazy because we, uh, I guess, like maximized our our pit barrel productivity throughout the day. So. When I had the the boar on there, we also did chicken wings, Ugh. and we did some just threw some like smokies on there to like uh, not smokies pepperonis on there to heat up. Yeah, and then uh, hack brought an elk roast that we did on there, so we did an elk roast, and then uh, also did some after we got the the pulled um, pork off, 
I did some jalapenos and uh, peaches on there as well for dessert. Man, I'm getting jealous just listening to that because like I've, there's been multiple times where I've like looked at my freezer and been like, man, I wish I could pull out the pit barrel right now. And it just, it's not a reality just because of the, the burn bands and everything like that. Mm-hmm. What were you running for, for spices on the, that pulled pork there? Like what were you, what kind of concoction did you mix up there? That is a good question because um, we're currently in the middle of moving. So I was looking, I, there's, there's a couple like mystery spice jars in my cupboard right now. So I just did the old finger poke inside of them and uh, tasted, <laughs> tasted the spices. And I figured whichever one was like not too, too spicy and kind of had that sweet kick to it too. I just grabbed that and then I added in some more like uh, garlic powder, a little bit of, um, oh geez, what's that one spice? It's a smoky pepper spice. Paprika? Uh, not paprika, but uh, a little bit spicier than paprika. Chipotle. Chipotle. And then uh, a little bit of garlic, pepper, salt, and a little bit of uh, brown sugar. And then, and some mustard, actually, dried mustard. Oh, nice. Yeah. And uh, doused the heck out of that freaking roast, and it was awesome. Let's go, I guess, eh? Yeah. It's big flavor. So you were on a buddy's property when you were out there camping. Did you... uh... You tap into the old eye hunter at all when you were out there? We did, yeah, yeah. And it was it was pretty neat because he was kind of giving us a tour of the property and there there's just these gorgeous like areas of the of the landscape and this little creek that would run down through his property and this giant shale cliffs kind of thing. So it was a bit of a um like uh I don't know, just these turkey trails and the the way we got there was kind of a winding road so it really threw me off on my directions even just being on the property was just kind of weird uh direction wise so i threw on the old tracker on the the app and that is one of the best things for getting your orientation on a new piece of property so that was super cool and then uh yeah and then i i used it we did some other touring around we went to go check out a couple sites on the countryside and uh just for reference point just to see where we're at was pretty neat as well yeah i'm uh headed up to clear lake this this week so i think i'll be using it even just for simple navigation it's that easy to use and uh you you bring up a a good point there chase in that uh I don't use the track feature nearly enough i think if if i had one eye hunter shortcoming it was would be that I don't use that track feature mm-hmm. because it's that easy to use. And really, when you think about it, sometimes it's just helpful to have that track locked in place to loop back into if it's a regular route or if it's a, even if it's a new route that you've never taken before. Mm-hmm. Um, if you need, if you think you might need to get back to that route at some point, because I know like when I've gone tracking deer, there's been times where I'm like, oh, I should have hit the track feature. Yeah, the big thing is too, like when you're walking through the bush, you, I always like to try and, you know, have a look back and, and see what the trail looks like from the other side. So you mm-hmm. know what you're what you're looking at. But if you're tracking a deer or something, you know, sometimes you lose that. And uh, it's nice to have that backup, man, just to know that when you cut that trail, you know exactly where you're going to be and which way you got to turn and go kind of thing. So, Oh, man, it's so good. And we're, I don't know how much we can share. So, uh, you know, 
don't share this too far outside this podcast possibly, but we're currently testing the beta models on the, uh, the iHunter app there and I am enjoying it. Mm -hmm. I'll say that much. Big time. I think iHunter's got some exciting features coming forward here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's definitely super user-friendly. Um, I know we, we were kind of um, talking about some of the improvements that, that could have been made on the old app, and it's like night and day difference, I feel like, for a lot of the accessibility on the app and just how the, the whole interface is mapped out. Yeah, it's the next level. Yeah. Is what it is really. So if you uh, if you need to get into iHunter, there you can you can check them online there, or they have a they have a great uh, Instagram page there too. Mark Stenros runs his page there as well. Yeah, and if you're looking for uh, if you don't run the app, and uh, you can get the download the app on your phone, get the base layer maps, and if you're just want to try it out, try the public land subscription. Go head over to web.ihunter.com and type in the promo code Panoramic30 and that will get you 30% off that. And if you like that, head over, get yourself some of the uh, landowner maps too. They're they're amazing. You will not get 30% off with that promo code, but I guarantee you won't be disappointed when you're you're out there wandering looking for a piece of property. And we transitioned right from from Pit Barrel to iHunter. So I got to go back and, and give you the little Pit Barrel plug if you're looking to get into a pit barrel, head over to pitbarrelcookers.com. Free shipping in the United States. And if you're looking to get into one in Canada, head over to their website. They have a map there of all their locations that carry them across Canada. And uh, step up your flavor game for a fraction of the price that you would have to take by another former smoker or barbecue. Yeah, one of the most accessible, durable, and uh, easy-to-use systems you can get. So it's it's pretty much dummy-proof, I would say. Get into it now. If, uh, if, if you're on the fence, get in a pit barrel. Yeah, absolutely. And then, Chase, like... Here's the other thing, man. We've, uh, we're, we're almost into August at this point, and uh, we're broaching the best time of year, mm-hmm. without a doubt archery we got some ideas around uh we'll talk about that a little bit more later we got a moose hunt to plan man that's, that's going to be coming up quicker than we even know we, we got to get on it we've got some logistical stuff to really nail down here um there's a lot of moving pieces got a boat motor to fix got a boat motor to fix <laughs> yeah we got to get from from lockport to Gillum, on a train, off a train, in a boat, down the river, and then set up camp somehow. Yeah. So there's a few moving pieces in place here, um, but I'm excited for it. Yeah, I'm super pumped. It's going to be a wild adventure, and uh, we're going to try and document it all. I think we're going to be into just this amazing piece of territory with, uh, you know, just some some great opportunities for fishing and moose hunting and i think it's just going to be i don't know hopefully the the wind blows our way on that one i think it's a hunt of a lifetime i don't know what you're billing it as but yeah like, i think literally it's a hunt of a lifetime yeah 100 percent, man well, totally i'm looking can. at my life i'm not sure when i'm gonna be able to do that ever again <laughs> i don't know how i'm able to do it now but it's gonna happen gotta make it happen 
the uh the one thing i'm really looking forward to though is like uh, i'm thinking back to like previous moose hunts that we've had and um it's like dynamic weather that time of year we'll say you know i'm like it's it can be hot one day it can be cool the next um it can be really cool you can get into some really thick shit real quick yeah up that area i think one thing that's gonna be a, a game changer for us this, this year as you might say or maybe a a revolution is that the wool of i think in a lot of ways because like wearing it throughout the past season it's enabled me to stay in the field longer with more comfort and allowed me to extend the amount of time that i'm able to actually hunt mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying yeah so i'm hoping that that carries over i have full confidence that that will carry over into our moose hunt here um I know every time we've gone moose hunting, we've gone and wet. Yeah. And we've shot our moose when it's been wet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone says they shoot them on bluebird days. No, not us. Um, you got to, I think you got to get out there. That's just my personal opinion. But the wool up, I feel like, helps you get out there, is what I'm saying. Man, it's, it's truly amazing how, like, much comfort and uh just how much better i feel and it's it's it, i feel like i've been missing out on this now i got this fomo because yeah i finally you know got into a quality piece of base layer that's merino wool and it's just seriously increases your comfort level increase increases your warmth and like you said just makes the, the outdoors just a better experience overall doesn't matter what you're doing yeah and I find too, like, cause I had a polyester underlayer before and it was, it was pretty good at increasing your warmth, but what it wasn't great at is once it warmed up, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. once it, once you warmed up, then you were in trouble. Yeah. The Merino, like not only is it comfortable, but it like, it helps you keep temperature in both those situations, which I find super helpful. Right. Cause we, especially when you're, you're packing all the way up North. I don't want to bring six different base layers and yeah. then six different outer layers. Like, there's, it's just not feasible. Yeah. We're, we're going to be packing light. Um, we got a boat in, so you're already limited in what you can bring. Um, so you got to make a count. Yeah. So if you want to get into some wool love, the best way to do that is go to the wool the love. That's right. And uh, you know, they they're coming out with new products all the time. They got their. Uh, I think they got their thicker line coming out and then they also have their uh, colored shirt. So like not only could you wear the wool of in moose camp, um, if you get it yourself into a situation like we have in the past where you need to go to wedding social after your, your camp, <laughs> they have a colored shirt that yeah. could help fix you up there. And the beautiful thing about uh, merino wool is antimicrobial. So after a, a day of sweating your arse off, hauling around a moose or something like that, you know, you're not going to be smelling like a, a wolf is, wolf's arsehole coming off the mountain. Ah. So um, if you're interested in checking some out, like Tristan said, head head over to the website wool.love, type in the code panoramic10, get you 10% off anything there. And if you really want to save some money, bundle up their, their gear there. They got socks, they got underlayers, they got underwear, t-shirts, collared shirts, and uh, just anything that you need for either everyday life or for heading to the woods. Check them out. And 
I'm I'm pumped about this episode, man. Yeah. This 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 is like I I've I I went from like flying from gear like eight to like gear ten now, ready to roll into archery season here. Yeah, and I feel like episode ninety two is episode one. In the sense that, like, we finally got to connect with people face-to-face again and talk about things that they love. And there's good reason to love them, too. Like, uh, we had Alan Gunther from Alan's Custom Bow Tuning on the show today. And we got Jason Sweet from Heights Archery. Both are stalwarts. Like, they are they are uh, long-standing, like, pillars in the archery community in Manitoba here. And uh, we're able to tap into just a whole wealth of knowledge from them, from everything from like your preseason setup, what you should be doing now, to like what are you doing in the game when the you know when your arrows on the line and everything in between, right? Mm-hmm. What it means to be, you know, kind of like a, a community focal point for archery in a town in a city. And so, like, I, I am very appreciative of the dynamic and engaging conversation we were able to have with these two, two guys. Yeah, it was amazing because, like, in the past, our interactions with them have been really, um, I guess, business-focused where we're in the business of either getting some gear or getting our gear tuned up or whatever it may be. And, uh, you know, we don't often have the opportunity to sit down and, and talk with with uh those guys at at this sort of level so it was a real nice look into uh, into uh, i mean tapping into their knowledge and just getting a peek into what their life is like and and uh just to hear their passion for the for the sport and stuff still man being that that deep into it is just makes me know that i'm taking my gear to the right places oh totally you know like their knowledge uh, you'll see here their knowledge shown through like loud and clear. There was no kind of like gap in like it, no matter what ridiculous question we we could pitch them like they had, they had an answer for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you can tell these guys have been in the game for a very long time. They're dedicated to their craft, and they also like appreciate connecting with people, mm-hmm. which I think is the big the big part here, right? They they know that they need to connect with folks. Um, to keep this sport growing and to keep people engaged and interested in what's going on here. So um deeply appreciative for the, not only the services, but just the energy they provide for, for the community here. And uh I can't imagine what the archery kind of community would look like in Manitoba with all these two fellows. Yeah, no doubt. Well, without further ado, let's uh get the podcast rolling. All right, folks, and we're back, and finally uh, able to sit down in person with a, with a few of our guests here. It's it's been over a year, I'm sure, before we've actually sat down, even with each other, to sit down for a podcast. So, um, pretty awesome moment right now, and looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, it felt, it felt like it was going to be a bit of toss up between where we're we going to shoot. Were we going to air on elk first or were we going to have an in-person guest first? And here we are in person <laughs> a year and a half later. No kidding. Uh, so we got a couple of guests joining us here. Obviously, uh, myself and Tristan are sitting across from the table and we got uh, Jason Sweet and Alan Gunter here. Howdy. How's it going? How are you guys doing? Good. Right on. And uh, we're just 
coming up to the uh i guess about a month before opening day for archery whitetail in manitoba here and uh i mean other provinces and states to follow so good timing on this one uh but before we get rolling here to get to know our guests a little bit better we're going to do uh three burning questions because we got two guests here today so uh jason we'll start with you okay ready okay uh whiskey or beer beer all right that's fast yeah are you uh are you like a uh craft beer kind of guy or are you usually just i'm a craft beer guy yeah yeah crafty nice um last meal what's going to be on the plate probably a ribeye and lobster solid choice solid choice if we're getting taken down by zombies i'm coming over <laughs> <laughs> um and uh your dream hunt what would you be going for mm, probably arizona or new mexico elk nice have you done much out of province stuff no, no. never hmm. right on and alan alan's been through this before hasn't he nope nope he's no, never been no. on here on oh, this one no nope. we talked a lot about it but yeah yeah okay i got that wrong then uh whiskey or beer uh definitely beer all right and are you crafty guy or are you in the summer i'm just the easy drink and then in the winter i'll go into craft stuff yeah yeah right on and your last meal it's gonna be some kind of seafood probably lobster shellfish something like that yeah nice garden salad maybe <laughs> all right you guys move you're in the wrong province if you're banking on the lobster dinner <laughs> yeah <laughs> for sure no kidding and uh your dream hunt would you be doing probably uh hawaii for axis deer nice yeah that's a that's a pretty accessible hunt by by the sounds of things for like we were planning a vacation before COVID hit and uh hawaii came up on the map and i was yeah. like yeah let's do it yeah i think if you're there once you get there the yeah. hunt is is not that much of a problem it's just getting there that's yeah the tricky part yeah and i guess getting everything home too yeah but i'm sure the uh the local butchering crew there has a pretty good idea of what needs to happen and and how yeah. to execute that yeah um so why don't you guys give us a little uh jason you're obviously the uh i don't know what your what's what's your official job title uh janitor <laughs> uh, manager archery instructor uh but i'm the co-owner of heights okay yeah. so heights archery in winnipeg yeah. and uh one of the the best sporting goods stores in winnipeg and uh alan is you used to work at archery shop yep and uh since transitioned out of that and you're now in the uh custom tuning business i guess you'll see yep yeah i do alan's custom bow tuning out of my basement um so i worked at Heartline, the other archery shop in the city, for 13 years. Um, transitioned out of there about three years ago. So now it's just a, a side hobby for me, which is nice because it's got a little bit more flexibility. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So as we're as we're rolling into uh, into archery whitetail season here, and uh, obviously elk season is coming up, all kinds of fun times in the fall are coming up, bear season. I brought my bow into heights the other day, and I... I always think about this because I'm uh, I, I'm never up to date like on the best practices for my bow. When I was when I was growing up, I always just think 
just like wax the shit out of your string if there's any <laughs> if there's anything coming off that thing and need some more wax kind of thing but uh, i've since learned different but I, i'm uh I, I certainly don't know the best tips and tricks to kind of enter hunting season with or just uh general maintenance on the bow besides just keep it clean kind of thing um and to throw a wrench in that i remember when we were talking to Bruboich about elk hunting we were talking to him about elk hunting he, he's been hunting in our lake area for 30 years hunting elk and uh he says he knows a guy that never waxes a string because he says it's abrasive and so that was did i get that right is that was it a break no that it would draw dirt in and that the dirt would be abrasive so i don't know if that's true but you can definitely overwax your string okay yeah there's times where i'm taking dental floss and pulling and running it down the string trying to pull all the wax off a string because somebody's waxing their string every third time they shoot you just want to do it when it's when you're getting that abrasion like those little white hairs and stuff that come off the string you don't want to put because he's, he's exactly right it will pull a lot of dirt and stuff into the string right and so that wax then is basically just stopping those white hairs from vibrating even more, like fraying even more. Is that, yeah, yeah, exactly right. And you know, it's 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 going to keep some dirt out and collect it there. But it's there's definitely gets it can get so thick from people who think they need to wax their string every, you know, every time they shoot or every couple of weeks. So they shoot like I might do mine two times a year, three times a year, maybe. Usually, like before hunting season, and clean it out after, and do it after. And there's string cleaners and stuff you can get now to kind of get some of that dirt out of the string before before you put the wax on, so that you're not holding that that sand and whatever. You know, you're dragging your bow through the bush for you know three months of the fall, and then you know you're gonna wax that into the string fiber. So it's better to clean that out and then just put a little coating of wax on there, and that'll preserve it a lot longer. Hmm. And what what like what's the main purpose? Is it to lubricate the strings? That's to protect them. Just protection, yeah. yeah. Keeps them from drying out a little bit. So that uh, prolongs the life. Yeah, right on. Um, <clears throat> and another thing that I'm, I'm usually pretty good at is like keeping the bowstring on there for about like a solid five years past its <laughs> predicted shelf life. Well, how often are, do you guys usually change those? I guess um, it depends on how much you're you're flinging arrows, but uh, uh, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. Like certainly, if, the, if you're a heavy user of your bowstring, like if you shoot multiple times a week i would say change them every year um if you're more seasonal with your shooting like every two to three years for sure in my opinion the most important part of your bow system is your strings and cables if they're not perfect your doesn't really matter what else you have on there doesn't matter how good your rest is or sight if they're not consistent and good you know you've got serving slipping or cable stretching and stuff like that none of that other stuff is going to matter so changing them every i would say probably two to three is as long as i would go on Mm -hmm. a set of strings um and if you're doing heavy use, I would do them every year. Right. Right. So what what's like some of the stuff that you guys see coming in that's, uh, I guess, fairly simple or, or just normal uh, issues that, that are regularly occurring with, with everyday folk that, you know, bring their bow in and it's just like. I mean, where do you start with that? <laughs> um, definitely first, like I'm not getting the strings changing up. Like yeah. I will get guys that. You know, there's a certain group of guys that maybe you only put in for archery elk every few years because they'll get drawn every few years who are not generally bow hunters, mm. right? Like they're, mm. they're, they're gun hunting for deer and stuff like that. They're not. So they'll bring in their bow to get their arrows reflection. They'll open the case and the bow's exploded inside the case. Whew. Right. So not, not keeping <laughs> up with maintenance on that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and thinking that you can just pull it out of the box, you know, every five or 10 years and go use it is 
not a really realistic expectation. Some of the other things that you might see uh, less critical, well, I shouldn't say less critical, but smaller things are like uh, D-loop wear. You see a lot of guys come in with their D-loops half worn through, and and that's usually caused by a burr on your release. Mm. If you're going through D-loops, like mm-hmm. if you're going through a D-loop more than once every six months or a year, you got some some rough spot on your release. So that's one that should be looked at regularly, which is pretty easy to change out. Yeah. And that's just a quick trip to the bow shop kind of thing and away yeah. you go. Yeah. Yeah. And usually you don't even have to, I mean, you might have to check your sights, but if your knock point stays the same, you're, you're putting a new D loop on and you won't have to change much at all. So it's, it's pretty easy. Roll. Yeah. Can, can, uh, somebody do that easy enough at home kind of thing? Or is it like, yeah, D loops easy enough to do at home. If you know the right, if you know the knot and there's all kinds of YouTube videos about it. Yeah. So it, if you had some extra D loop, uh, though, the only thing you gotta be careful of is you gotta cut the old one off. So you're using a sharp blade by your string. Right. And so that if you're not careful, you're going to run into big problems. <clears throat> That kind of uh, gets me thinking of like just the master at his trade because you guys build up all these muscle memories from like thousands of repetitions of whatever it is, cutting deed loops, placing strings and all that. And then here I am watching a YouTube video and <laughs> whipping, out the, yeah. <laughs> whipping out the old uh, Zacto blade. Yeah. Chink. Yeah. Oh boy. Into the bow shop. Yeah. I can't wait until you nick your string and then you're drawing back on a big bull elk. Yeah. Then then we'll be in trouble. No kidding. That'd be a lot of fun. So I had a few life-changing events happen within the past year between a puppy and a, a new kid. And uh, so I haven't been doing a lot of shooting. In fact, I haven't shot my bow basically since the fall. So this thing's sitting there right now and I'm a little wary about drawing this thing back like is there things i can look for to like make sure this thing isn't going to blow up in my face when i when i pull it back or should i take it into the shop like what do you guys recommend here i mean if it's if you shot it last fall and it was fine it's probably still okay like there's probably not anything that's happened there was a major issue if you've how like i don't know how recently the bow was purchased or when strings were changed on it but it's a 1980s psc stingray <laughs> okay well <laughs> In that case, I might recommend bringing it into the shop just to just to be sure that everything yeah. is good. The string's pretty fresh on that thing, though, yeah, isn't the it? String's fresh. The arrows are always fresh. Let me be clear about that. <laughs> they don't stick around very long for some reason. <laughs> yeah, it's probably not going to blow up on you, so you're fine to shoot it. But it's it's probably worth having it looked at just once over. Yeah. And the string materials that they use to make those strings are what are called Dacron strings, and those don't break the way that modern uh, string materials break. So they'll stretch quite a bit. They're not super consistent, but they'll they'll last quite, like you'll be at a lot lower risk of them breaking. You should still change them regularly, but it's probably gonna be okay to, to shoot. I feel better now. Wait, okay, hang on. You lost me at the, at the different strings. So they're like, even though he has new strings on the bow, it's, it's a different string than what's on the new bows or just a different it's, string style? Uh, the string, it's the material that the strings made of is different, right? So there's there's various materials that strings are made out of. Generally, a bow of that vintage would have a string that's made from a material called Dacron, hmm. which isn't a super consistent string. It's got a lot of stretch to it, yeah. But it's incredibly strong, and generally, I mean, there's bows that I've had them on for 20 years that don't break. No way. Um, modern material is much more consistent, um, a much more accurate and better string, 
but they will just break under tension after sitting even unshot for years sometimes. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's wild. Huh. And uh, I, I'm, I was at the shop there the other day, and uh, you were helping me out, Jason, and you were like, hang on a second. I left my, my bow in the car. I got to go get it. I don't want to leave it in the heat. What kind of, what kind of like stress and like, uh, I guess wear and tear does the, the extreme temperatures play on like stuff like that? Um, and mostly it would be uh, damaging to the strings to be in that heat for so long. It's going to yeah. cause them to stretch and pull a little bit. Um, definitely don't leave your bow in a hot vehicle. That was uh, me rushing into the store and I saw your message saying that you were there and I was trying to get inside fast. And then I was like, oh, I better get this out of the car before, you know, practice what you preach. Um, most of the other stuff will be okay. Like bows can take a lot of extremes. Like people hunt in extremely hot conditions to extremely cold conditions with them. Um, but you leave, it's like, you know, like you, your vehicle gets extremely hot when it's sitting in the sun for a long time and it can definitely cause some damage to the strings. Like traditional bows, wooden stuff, limbs will delaminate and things like that being left in the heat for that long. So it's always best to bring it inside. Mm-hmm. The wax can melt out of your string. So if you just waxed it, that heat will melt that wax. So any any gain that you thought you had from waxing your string is gone. <laughs> so things like that. I have heard of uh, uh, the grease in the limb pockets and stuff uh, when it gets super hot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, melting out of there but that's that's got to be like 40 or 50 or 45 degrees yeah kind yeah. of thing for yeah. extended periods of time yeah we got a little squirrel action in the background right now <laughs> i'm about ready to grab the 22 yeah or just grab that old psc i think yeah <laughs> that one might have longer range than the 22 though <laughs> Um, what about like, uh, care for your, for your cams and stuff or your, your cams and your bearings? I know I've, I've kind of heard through like conversations with other guys and, and like, who knows how truthful this shit actually is because by the time it gets to me, it could be like third hand, fourth hand, fifth hand information. But I've heard guys say like, make sure you oil your cams up kind of thing. Is that something you should do? No, no. No, that oil is going to attract dirt. Yeah. And you don't want that. You don't want that in the rotation of the cam system. Right. So clean it out. Make sure there's no dust. Make sure it's dry. Make sure there's you know, no rust or anything on it. And you should be good. Nice. And all these cams now have all sealed bearing systems. Yeah. Oh, they like, are, so, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. So if, if, if dirt is getting into that bearing system you've got bigger problems than oiling your wheels. Like you have to replace that bearing system or the cam itself. Yeah. So if yeah. you got a squeaky wheel, bring it in and get replaced. Yeah. I, I generally don't see, I've, I've seen maybe three or four bearings seals break on wheels in 14 years of Oh wow! doing that. So it, yeah. it's certainly not a common problem, but if, if you're having issues with your bearings, it's, it's a big issue beyond getting oiled. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Are we are we just wide open archery questions right now? Is that the is that the the bearing right now? Sure, yeah, we can do that. Okay. Whatever you think. We were kind of doing the preseason tips and tricks and maintenance, but uh, okay. I don't I don't know if this qualifies as a maintenance question, but and you guys both do your fair amount of archery hunting, so I'm interested to see what you'd come up with because there's been a f- well more than one time I'll say where we've been elk hunting in the the inner lake and I've been dragging my bow through the bush and some of the gnarliest stuff i can conceive of and i'm 
just like even though it's a 1980s stingray i'm apologizing to this thing like like how tough are these things and like do you have any tips and tricks as when you're in like the really thick stuff as to make sure like you're still got a shootable bow for if you need to draw down on something uh yeah absolutely i mean bows are incredibly tough um if, if you're concerned about you know damaging stuff when you're going through the bush just i would buy accessories and put them on the bow that are have less issues so if, if you're going through thick brush and you're worried that your drop away rest cord is going to pull out of the bow shoot a whisker biscuit you're going to lose a little bit from shooting the whisker biscuit but for the average person not enough to to make a difference and it's going to you know you're going to if if the option is to have a functioning rest you know when you need to take a shot or having a touch more accuracy and there being a possibility that the rest might fail you because you've been dragging it through you know thick witch hazel for for four days then then go with more reliable basic easy to use you know, no BS type of type of system. But bows are incredibly tough. I'm super hard on my bows. I've dropped them out of trees, you know, many times pulling them up. I've been frustrated at three three D shoots and thrown them into the bush. But I've made <laughs> yeah. bad shots. Like yeah. they can take a lot. The bow itself is is not the weak part. It's the accessories that you got to worry about. It's your sight, your rest. Those are the those are the things that you're gonna break before you break the bow. And so, Alan, you say like the site, and I, I'm not up on the latest and the greatest in the archery world. And I notice a lot of guys are moving away from like a pin sight style to now what I used to have on the PSE, which is like this movable crosshair. Mm-hmm. Yep. Is that is that like a trend coming in for more accuracy, or what's the scoop there? Yeah, the single pins are definitely gaining popularity. They're most of them don't have the crosshair. Most of them are still a pin, but it's a single pin, and some of them will now have a like a second stationary pin kind of thing uh, but but that's becoming way more popular now that guys are starting to uh, stretch out their distance a little bit uh, i can cite my my single pin sight in from 20 to 100 and it's still one pin and my sight picture is not super cluttered whereas if i wanted to sight in out to 100 yards with a multi-pin sight going say every 10 yards that's nine pins and now you got so many pins in there you can hardly see the thing you're aiming at so the single pins are getting a lot more popular for those reasons. They're also, they clear up your sight picture, your aiming picture a little bit. So they're a little bit more relaxing to aim with. So guys, typically when I recommend they switch to a single pin, they usually call me back in a month or so and say, hey, I'm shooting the best I've ever shot because the single pin, I'm just way more relaxed shooting it. Now there's some downsides to that. When you're hunting and shooting at a deer that's in a, at an unknown distance, if you need to dial that sight to the distance, you got to range range find that deer. Then you got to dial the sight and things like that. And there's definitely ways around that. For myself, if I set up my tree stand, first of all, I'm going to know typically where my shooting lanes are and where the trails are. So I'm going to set my sight at where I think the deer are going to come through. If I think they're going to come through the trail at 30 yards, I'm going to dial it to 30 yards. And I'm going to leave it there. And if something changes, well, then I'll deal with it as it comes. Uh, and then just knowing where your arrow is going to hit if you have your sight set for 30 and the deer walks in at 20. So it's just a little bit more time behind the bow and playing around with that thing. It's kind of like when you were a kid shooting a BB gun at a tin can on the fence post, you would just aim a little higher, aim a little lower, and you just got used to how much you had to aim off. So with the single pin sight shooting, say, at a deer at 20 yards, when your sight's at 30 yards, you just got to know where you got to aim. Man, I should have held on to that old. <laughs> no, you shouldn't. Crosser, come on. <laughs> uh, what are you guys? And we call that Kentucky windage, I think. Eh, when you hold off center there. Um, 
What are you guys running for sites? Chase, you got a new one too, Alan. Like, what are you running? On I run a Spot Hog Fast Eddy. Uh, it's single pin, adjustable. Like I said, I can dial that thing into. When you get it set up right, there's a particular um, uh, sight tapes you put on. And if you get the right sight tape on there, you can dial it into the exact yard. So if you range that deer and it's at 42 yards, you can set your sight to 42 yards. And you're not guessing. I'm going to hold my 40-yard pin a couple inches high or anything like that. You can dial it right to the number. So uh, Fast Eddie XL is the one I'm shooting. Nice. Jason, what are you running? Uh, I have a Montana Black Gold uh, Pro 5-pin sight. So it's it's a movable sight like similar to what you can do with a single pin, but it's got a 5-pin fixed housing. So I still have 5-pins set for distances from 20 to 60. And those are becoming really popular, too, with the multi-pins that you can adjust. Um I like it, especially for something like elk hunting or moose hunting or even hunting whitetails in the rut in a more open area where things happen fast at different distances and you don't have the time to make that adjustment. And also having the ability to dial it down if you put an arrow into something and it runs out to, say, 80 yards, which isn't the distance that I would shoot the animal at. But if I've already got an arrow into it and I get an opportunity to put a second one in there, I'm going to still try to, to do that anyway. So, yeah, it's a black gold pro five pin i think is what it's called what it's yeah called. those are kind of the the best of both worlds those multi-pin sliders if you, if guys don't want to go with the single pin you can get like jay said you can get the the multi-pin slider and then you still have all of the flexibility kind of sounds like uh, uh I, i'd liken it to rifle hunting with a 30 odd six you could you could run a four power on a 30 odd six and do just fine if you're hunting tighter bush or you could put a you know like a a four by 12 on a 30 odd six if you needed to stretch it out a bit mm-hmm. and it really sounds like it depends on your your hunting style and the situation that you're trying to target in some ways yeah, absolutely chase what do you, what did you get you got a new one there eh? yeah i just got uh jason was talking about the five pin black gold i got the three pin black gold uh pro but it's the uh there's a couple different like mounting systems you can get on them there's like a, a sliding mount that you can adjust the the sight uh, distance pretty much. And so that customizes it a little bit more, a little better performance if you want to dial it in like that. But I just have the the X brace in there. So it's the stationary um, uh, like distance wise, but it's still the, uh, the sliding mount, but with a three pin instead of a five or a single pin. So I've got maybe like 30 rounds out of it right now. And it's pretty awesome. It's a, it's a pretty good upgrade from from what i had on there so no uh, more excuses this year nah i know there'll be something (laughs) (laughs) find something (laughs) so it was always room for excuses yeah so we chatted a bit of maintenance uh a bit of accessories one thing one thing that i'm always coming in like pre-fall for or like midsummer is like a fresh dozen arrows and i see all kinds of stuff out there now where shoot the heavy arrows or and guys are saying going back from like i don't shoot the heavy arrows just as long as you got the speed kind of thing and then there's a whole spectrum of like arguments out there what's what do you guys recommend what's what's i don't know i feel like arrow shopping is a a lot more complicated than it was in our dad's day and age where they were just buying the same aluminum arrow all everyone had the same arrow i'm guessing and now you got to worry about like weight and stiffness and diameter yeah. and all these different things. So, yeah, like how, how's a how's a, a guy or a gal or someone interested in 
stepping up the game a bit, pick the right arrow for themselves. That's what you're saying, right, Chase? Nail it. Yeah, yeah. I just generally walk in there and I'm like, okay, I need some arrows. Can you guys hook me up with something? <laughs> and like before, like I, I really started researching my arrows this year and I'd, I'd like to build a set, but I haven't gotten around to that yet. But what do you guys, yeah, explain the process to us. We could probably do a whole podcast just on arrow selection, but if we want to kind of smooth it out there's arrows are probably the second in my opinion the second most important thing after your strings and cables because that's your projectile that's the thing that's going down range so you want to have a good quality arrow um to begin with i always tell guys to get the best arrows that you can get the best quality of arrow that you can get without crying when you lose one because you're going to lose them you're going to shoot them into a deer you're going to shoot them over the target you're going to Forget to, if you got a single pin sight, you're going to forget to set your sight to the right distance. You're going to, you're going to lose some, you're going to break some. So you want to spend as much as you can on an arrow without crying when you lose them. When you're spending more on an arrow, what you're typically paying for is better tolerances. So they make a run of arrows at the factory and then they sort them to plus or minus certain uh, straightness and weight tolerances. So basically you're paying for better sorting at the factory. From there, you want to look at what you're doing with the arrow. You want to look at, am I hunting deer? Am I hunting bear? Am I just target practicing? Are these just backyard flinging arrows? What am I doing? So you want to kind of tailor your arrow to your specific need. Um, Certain bigger animals are going to take more energy to go through. Like it's going to take more energy to go through a moose than it is a white-tailed deer. So you're going to want to optimize your your kinetic energy, your momentum, and you're going to want to optimize your penetration. So there's different ways to do that and different ways to look at it. But basically, uh, a smaller diameter arrow in theory has less friction when it's going through. So it's going to penetrate a little bit better. How much better can be debated, but there's no downside to going to a smaller diameter arrow. Generally, the smaller diameter arrows are also more durable because to get the same stiffness out of the arrow, they have to make the, the carbon wall thicker. Hmm. So they're going to be, a, generally speaking, a little bit heavier, and that's going to make them a little bit more durable. That's not always the case. You can get a pretty lightweight, small diameter arrow, but generally speaking, like take a look at the Easton Axis, for example. That's, a, that's probably one of the most durable arrows on the market, and it's a relatively thin diameter. And if you look at the carbon wall, it's pretty thick, and that's why, it, that's why it's so durable. So I, generally speaking, I... I think there's no downside to going to a smaller diameter arrow again the upsides can be debated depending on what you're doing but there's really no downside to it mm-hmm. um, you will lose a little bit of speed if the arrow is heavier but that's again not that big of a deal your kinetic energy is probably going to stay this roughly the same with a heavier arrow compared to a lighter arrow um, but your momentum is going to go up with a heavier arrow so momentum is really what's going to help push that arrow through the animal so kind of circling back there a small diameter slightly heavier arrow is kind of there's not much downside other than you're losing speed so that's usually what i recommend for guys the eastern axis the uh i'm drawing a blank on the black eagle ones rampage rampage Uh, i'm shooting the gold tip quantum black labels jay set me up with those last year they're great um something along those lines they're all similar diameters roughly similar weight right right 
so if you lose a bit of speed, you're also, I guess, increasing a little bit of room for error then, just with like the droppage and the Yeah, if, if you're shooting an unknown distance, yeah. uh, the speed is going to help you if you're shooting it. More speed is going to help if you're shooting an unknown distance because you can misjudge the distance by a little bit and still hit closer to your aiming point. So that's, that's the downside. If you've got a laser rangefinder, speed is almost a non-issue. I'm curious about the durability of the arrows they build these days too, because uh, I do a bit of missing every once in a while. <laughs> I've been known to put one into a tree or two or put one into the dirt. Um, at what point do you like look at the arrow and be like, that one's going on the shelf? Because I've like had like a, for example, I've uh, either shot one into a tree and hit it with an ax right by the tip <laughs> or like, <laughs> hit a rock or something with it where, where I can see like a visual abrasion on like kind of almost right where the insert goes in kind of thing. And I shelved it just cause I'm like, that's a little risky for me. I just, yeah, for if you, whatever it costs. If you see any flaw, crack, splinter or anything in the arrow shaft, it's probably not worth shooting anymore. Mm -hmm. It's not worth the risk. I've seen way too many, I can, probably count them on one hand but that's still too many but arrows that exploded mid shot and ended up in somebody's forearm or hand Oof. that kind of thing so it's just not it's not worth the risk for a for a say a 10 to 20 dollar arrow it's not worth getting one in your arm yeah it's horror stories yeah and and the same thing i would say would go to components like a, a big thing that i see people not do often enough is change their knocks right so they shoot a lot they're they're even if they're not damaged like this is the part of the arrow that attaches it to the bowstring, so that's really the most crucial point. Right. Right. There's that point of attachment. So if you've been pounding arrows all summer long and your knocks are getting bent out of shape because they're they're small pieces of plastic, you know, pull them out, buy a dozen knocks for twenty bucks or whatever, and change them at the end of the year because that's that's the money point of your arrow. If the back of the arrow that is attached to the string isn't perfect, I mean, you might have issues with broadheads all the time, not flying straight, but it might have nothing to do with the front end of the arrow because the back end of the arrow isn't leaving straight because the knocks damaged. Hmm. right so a, a big thing i would just go back with the arrows is like a, a crucial point is wondering what kind of components you want to do and there's lots of good aftermarket stuff like it, parts you can change out um i run a pin knock system in my arrows they're 204 the arrows that i use at the rampages they don't come with the easton hit insert but i use that easton hit insert like some of these components are interchangeable depending on what you want and that's always good to keep in mind kind of like where you want the arrow to finish off for weight, what kind of component. I think the components of the arrow are probably, like the shafts are all pretty good. And even the cheaper shafts, the little bit of work, cutting a little bit off the back and finding out where the straightest part of the arrow is mm -hmm. to get right, you can make work. But if you're putting subpar components in there, and a lot of the components that come from the manufacturer standard, they're okay, but there's a lot of good aftermarket stuff or replacement parts that can take that arrow to the next level or it can be more accurate and more durable. So that's always something to keep in mind when you're building an arrow system. I uh, I watched the arrow building video um, last fall, I think, and I was just like, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> this is gonna cost me a lot of money. Yeah. So I you can get, dive pretty deep into the the arrow components and spend a lot of time checking you know straightness and stuff like that. Yeah, you can buy an arrow spinner and spin them all and pick the straightest ones and all that kind of stuff. You can usually tell if an arrow's really bad when you shoot it. If you if you're shooting them consistently, and there you got one arrow that's not grouping, you know it shows up pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. 
And Jason, you is is there like a overall weight you're aiming for when you're when you're building your own arrow there? And I guess, I guess that's one of the benefits of bringing it into a shop in some ways and having like I guess you could get your own arrows online and cut them yourself kind of scenario. But if you're talking about a process here where you're figuring out where the straightest part of the arrow is, um, you're you're taking an overall view of all the components like it almost sounds like this this might sound cheesy but this really like holistic view of like what an arrow should be when you're lining it up for me personally absolutely so like i'll just run through how i would build an arrow for myself so I, i'll pick the shaft that i want to shoot um i'll determine the length that i want which is for me is 28 inches i have a 29 inch draw length or 29 and a half depending on kind of the setup that i'm shooting um i cut them at 28 i usually start by cutting um maybe an inch or three quarters of an inch off the back of the arrow, square the back end of the arrow. Then I put the bushings under the knock system and make sure that that's spinning true. Then I cut the front of the arrow down and square that up. So that I know that the shaft itself is spinning as perfect as possible right off the gate. Um, then I'll pick my component system and kind of get a rough idea of where I want to end up. I'm, I'm a bigger fan now of having more weight in the front of the arrow. So the arrows that I shoot generally end up between about 480 and 530 grains so they're a little bit heavier for say the average you know out of the bin cut down to size type arrow but i like putting a little more weight in the front um, i feel like it gets better penetration i think the broadhead's tuned easier with those components and i think the bow overall groups and shoots better so i'll put a 50 grain brass or steel insert in there um the arrows i have now i bought the the iron will impact collars which are like a about a one inch uh aluminum sleeve that slides over the end of the shaft and just puts a little more weight in the front. The one thing that can serve about the hit inserts is that the end of the shaft is exposed. There's no insert protecting the end of the shaft, so it's just bare carbon there. But with these sleeves, it gives you a little added protection there and then also provides that weight up front. Um, I always like to run wraps on the back of my arrow and I shoot a four fletch left helical with a two and three quarter, 2.6 inch vein on there. Um, I like the four fletch because I think the best way to get broadheads to fly better on an arrow is put more vein on the back of the arrow because it creates drag and that's what stabilizes the arrow quicker. I do left helical um, because I've done what's called arrow clocking where I've shot bare shafts at close distance to see which way the arrow naturally wants to rotate off the string. So I'm shooting a shaft without any fletchings on it. So the fletchings aren't manipulating the flight of the arrow at all. And I'll put a mark down the top and I'll shoot it two yards and I'll see which way it's rotating because arrows, even with fletchings in 20 yards, rotate maybe seven times full rotation down there and it'll tell me which way the arrow goes so i'll fletch the arrows in that same orientation so that i'm not fighting the natural rotation of the string and that really has to do with which way your string is twisted when it comes off that's what determines that um but if i wanted to make like a pure whitetail hunting arrow i would probably go with something lighter because deer are jumpy right like i don't that's the reason i like a little lighter for arrow for deer um because they're usually way more alert and high strung and they do that ducking the string or whatever people call that right so i like a little faster shaft so i'm getting the arrow to the deer quicker and i'm usually shooting them at you know sub 30 yards that that heavier arrow you just described what are you using that for i would build that as, as a really an all-around arrow okay right like so you know i've got an elk hunt this fall i got a moose hunt this fall i'm going to do some white tail hunting um i i like the heavier shafts certainly for certainly for a bigger animal like that and I, like I said, I like more of that weight in the front of the arrow. I think it helps get penetration. I want to build an arrow for when a shot might not go great. 
right? If I hug the shoulder too tight and I'm going to hit, you know, that's the same thing with broaded selection. So if I'm hugging the shoulder too tight and I'm hitting bone or something like that, I want to know that I'm going to have the extra power to push it through to get that second lung because hitting two lungs is way better than hitting one. So I, I hate to say it, but I want to build an arrow for when I make a bad shot. Yeah, that's a good point because uh, a well-placed shot out of a 40-pound bow, with a, like a women's bow with a 26-inch arrow, like the well-placed shot is going to go through a moose. But the, the, the off shot where you hit a rib or a shoulder blade, that's when the stuff that Jay was just talking about, that's when that comes into play. So if we make perfect shots, if, if every shot we, we ever make at an animal is perfect, all this stuff is kind of irrelevant. But I don't know a single person that makes a perfect shot at every animal they shoot at. So that's where all the stuff that Jay just said, that's where it all comes into play. I, I'm going to throw a theory out at you guys and you, you let me know. Because I, I don't have as much experience in the, the, the archery world, but I, we handload our own shells as well. And so what I've done for my 300 is I've recognized, too, that there's the same conundrum that you get yourself into. Lots of people say you can take down a moose with a, uh, with a 22 if you really wanted to. But as you guys identified, you, you want to leave yourself a little room for error. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I, when I run my 300 and I, I shoot a 200-grain bullet and I'm shooting, it's a little slower and it's got that drop that the, the heavy arrow would have to... Um, but it's, it's giving me room for air. It's also a really consistent shell. And I shoot it for deer as well just because I want to be – I don't need to shoot it for deer, but that's the only rifle I have. And I want to be, con- <laughs> be consistent in what I'm shooting. I don't want to jump between, uh, between projectiles, really. I've just decided that I'm just going to have one high-quality bullet. So, Jason, it sounds like you, you'll jump between arrows. Like, Alan, do you, do you switch arrows too? Like kind of- well, I mostly just hunt whitetail. I, I haven't been on a moose hunter and elk hunt yet. It's on my list of things I want to do. But, uh, so I, I pretty much stick with the same arrows just because I'm, I'm basically hunting whitetails and, and I'll sit maybe once every couple of years for black bear. But um, uh, so I, I usually stick with the same arrow. I feel like for black bear, you'd have to switch the setup a bit or do you do you same arrow same arrow yeah and are you running like the the heavier style arrow are you running something yeah i don't even know what mine weigh out at there it's been a while since i weighed them they're probably somewhere around 450 give or take a little bit grains um they've got a slightly heavier insert in the front uh it's like a half in half out insert um wraps on the back i run a three fletch same uh, 2.6 inch AAE veins on the back. Um, I shot the four fletch a few years ago uh, on a really light arrow. Like I was shooting a 350 grain arrow. Uh, and what I found was that the further distances, the four fletch started to act like a parachute because it didn't carry enough momentum. And so I'd get out to 80 or 90 yards and it would just start dropping like a ton of bricks. Hmm. Now, now that I'm shooting a heavier arrow, I might try the four fletch again, and I think that was that was probably a, a good idea at the wrong time when I tried it. But uh, like Jay said, the four fletch, the more the more drag you can put on the back of the arrow, the the quicker it's going to stabilize. And when you got your broadheads on, that's that's what uh, really counts. Yeah. So uh, Jason's running the the iron wheels, and those things are like. Man, I feel like you could fix your car with those babies uh, and it's still no. punching through a deer kind of thing. 
Um, Alan, what are you running? I'm shooting the Annihilators. Uh, I picked them up from Jay last year at Heights. Uh, they're a three-blade uh, solid broadhead. They're very small in diameter. They're, I don't know, an inch diameter, maybe even seven-eighths. Uh, so they're quite small, but they fly like darts. Like they, They're exactly the same as the field points, and they're super durable. Hmm. I haven't personally tested one other than uh, putting it through a 2 by 4 but uh, uh, there's all kinds of videos on the internet you can see of guys shooting them through cinder blocks and steel drums and I think I watched one guy shoot one single broadhead through a steel drum about 50 times no way and it still was as good as I mean it was dull but it was as good as new basically yeah holding up through those shoulders and stuff hopefully too when I went to ATA the first year that I saw them and brought them to the shop they had a car hood that they had shot one through I think it was 24, 25 times or something like that. And they had the broadhead that they had shot that many times. And it was still pretty sharp for a broadhead that had gone through a car hood and no was kidding. 100% fine. Yeah. Yeah. They're really solid. Ed. Um, what about like, uh, so I picked up uh, a pair uh, or a set of uh, a couple sets of muzzy ones last year. And they're like uh, a one piece broadhead as well. Cause I thought the, you know, the less variables I can, cart around in the woods with me the better kind of thing but i find them really noisy when i'm when i'm shooting on quiet days like just a good whistle kind of not a whistle but like you know just you can hear good wind noise yeah. yeah yeah what uh what's your take on that and like is that something unique to each broadhead or what like uh obviously the the muzzy ones are a little bit thicker so i'm uh, assuming they got a little bit more drag up front on them and and breaking that air but have you guys vent- had any issues with they're that? vented hey yeah they are yeah. yeah yeah so they'll have a little bit more a <clears throat> little bit more area to make noise with those vents on them the the annihil- i'm not too familiar with the iron wheels but those annihilators they're solid like there's no there's no vent so so they'll be quieter without the vent yeah in theory yeah yeah interesting it also depends on the ship like even those annihilators like they're they kind of have a little dimple in the side where they go there yeah. and i've heard guys shooting them and you can tell that that dimples creating a bit of noise from the air going to that i mean right i think in most cases it's going to be too late i mean yeah like that noise unless you're whipping one at a whitetail way out there but like there's that sweet spot when you're shooting a deer right like if it's super close it's gonna arrow's gonna get there too quick if it's in that middle range i might hear it but if it's too far i won't even notice it's the, not gonna register as know? a yeah. danger yeah so you, you hear a lot of guys shooting deer at 60 yards and they say it never moved it never jumped the string anything like that but at 25 yards they'll jump the string well the the deer at 60 yards that sound it heard that sound your bow made the sound the arrow's making it doesn't it's not close enough to register as a threat but at 25 yards that sound is a threat yeah i think it was i know tony peterson was talking about that a little bit too and he said it was like between like 25 to like 35 yards or something like that is that tricky range where yeah i did a calculation one time and this was 15 years ago so i might not get this exactly right but i think we calculated one time that if the deer was less than 17 yards this was assuming your bow was going 280 feet per second if the deer was less than 17 yards it could not move fast enough to get out of the way of your arrow (laughs) between 17 and say i don't know 35 then it can it can move fast enough to jump your string past 35 then it's probably again like i said not registering that sound as a threat 
Yeah, just not close enough for them yeah. to to do anything about it. Yeah, that's just at that seventeen yards. That's assuming that you're making a good shot, hitting where you're aiming. Yeah, right. If you're if the deer could jump your string, it could move fast enough if you shot a little high. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. So it's I'm not saying it's impossible for the deer to jump your string at seventeen yards, but if you make a good shot and hit where you're aiming, yeah, and aim in the right spot. See, and here we, we set all our shooting lanes up for like 30 yards, so we're just shooting ourselves in the foot here. <laughs> yeah, get them in tight, get them out far. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm curious, you guys are obviously shooting uh, fixed blade broadheads, and the the fixed heavy style arrows are obviously very trendy right now, but a lot of other guys are talking about, um, you know, Grim Reapers or Rage, uh, Hypodermics or whatever, they seems to be dropping stuff pretty quick but is there uh is there a solid like uh mechanical broadhead you guys would recommend or if you had to shoot one what would you be looking at i would probably shoot a rage or a grim reaper because i've shot both and killed deer with both um on the flip side i was saying before about having building arrow that's going to give you forgiveness if you hit too far forward i think a mechanical is better if you hit too far back Right, if you're gonna hit a deer in the guts, it's better to put a two-inch hole through its guts than a one-inch hole. So there is some give and take there, but I think a rage or a reaper would be would be what I'd shoot. I'd echo that. The last last deer I shot was with a rage uh, hypodermic, and the one before that was with a grim reaper. So hmm. yeah, I'd, I'd echo that same thing. Right on. And what else are you guys thinking about when you're heading into bow season? Um, we've we've covered like some accessories now, uh, arrows broadheads is there anything else you guys would like recommend to either get checked out or you know the latest and greatest equipment that's going to make the difference in the field for you um i mean i think right now i would say that probably all that stuff should have been checked out a month ago <laughs> you know what i mean like i think this time of year like when we're getting a month before bow season it your bow should be dialed your broadhead should be tuned you should be sighted in and you should just be working about worried about putting arrows down range mm-hmm. and getting like really proficient knowing your equipment, especially practicing like in between distances. I think this is the time of year to really familiarize yourself with how your bow shoots, how you shoot it. You know, if, if you, all you do is stand at 20 yards or 30 yards and shoot the same target in the same space all the time. I mean, you're not replicating a realistic hunting situation, working on form and stuff in the off season like that. It's fine. That's great. That's necessary. But now it's, you know, shoot at 22 yards, shoot at 34. Yeah. You know, move the target around, move where you're shooting from. Make sure yeah. you're shooting from, you know, go pick up your bow and shoot cold arrows in the morning. Like first thing, walk out in the backyard or whatever it is you can and shoot a shot and make sure that first shot counts because when you're hunting, that's the only one that really counts, right? Yeah. So I would say getting to know like your arrow drop, you know, making sure that you're familiar with your equipment, that your release works, starting to put on your gloves and some of your hunting gear. You know, a lot of people practice the same distance, never put the hunting stuff, throw on their jacket and their gloves and go hunting, and all of a sudden they're hitting off because it's not the same setup. So now yeah. it's time to replicate um, those hunting situations so that there's no surprises when you're in the field. Right. Set up, set up a tree stand yeah, and put your target at, the, you know, at 20 or 30 yards or whatever. Start shooting from the angles. You know, put yourself in awkward positions. Get, un- get un- uncomfortable. Yep. Yeah. I, uh, shooting, shooting out of a tree stand is definitely one of the biggest things that I, I haven't practiced shooting out of a tree stand at all. And every time I get up in a tree stand, which is where I do probably 95% of my archery whitetail hunting, 
I see a deer come out and I'll do practice draws and stuff on them. And I'm just like, man, this is so different. I should be practicing this like all the time. Yeah. It changes. Yeah, for sure. I'm not putting my winter gear on right now. There's, there's, <laughs> no. there's no way I'm doing that. <laughs> oh man. I got, I got a quick funny story from last winter, actually archery hunting. And, uh, it was, uh, I think it was muzzle season still. And this isn't going to be quick, just to be clear. Yeah, lot poor story. But we were, uh, I was, I was bow hunting. And it was snowing like a bugger out, and uh, I went out and I was geared right up, and I had like my freaking aviator hat on with the rabbit fur on it and stuff. Climbed up in the stand, and I was like, oh man, gonna be nice and warm and toasty up here. I can sit up here for a couple hours, wait for the, wait for a decent buck to cruise by. I got up there and I was like, all right, well, you know. Like haven't shot with this stuff on at all this year. The least I could do is do one drawback at least in the stand, and I draw back and I still have my stupid hat on. So I, my anchor point is not anywhere to be found, and I like go to draw the bow down, and the arrow falls out and goes hits the bottom of the stand. I'm just like, oh man! All right, hats off, new arrow in here. Yeah, didn't yeah. see a deer that day. <laughs> and that's why it's important to make sure that you're you're taking a few shots before you get out just to yeah to know because your, your impact point will change because that bigger jacket or if you're shooting especially if you put a face mask on or something like that that's why i never hunt with one because i can't get that same contact on my face with the bowstring when i shoot yeah um that stuff all changes glove changes a big jacket with a high collar changes you're pulling back and your release is going to catch on that mm-hmm. um and making sure that you know how that's going to affect your shot because there's nothing worse than when you have sat for eight hours when it's minus 10 out and then you get a shot and all of a sudden you didn't know that your jacket was going to be in the way or whatever. And now you yeah. ruined your one opportunity you've had all fall. Yeah. That was tough. I, um, last, uh, couple of seasons ago there, we had April on the podcast and she's, uh, she was like a physical therapist or, uh, and she actually said to the, just tossing one arrow up before you hit the, hit the tree stand is pretty important just to get those, nerve pathways warmed up and and that muscle memory going again too so um if folks are listening and haven't listened to that podcast there's a good reminder for you do you guys practice out of the blind then too like do you set the blind up in the shop and shoot down range uh i ha- yeah definitely in the shop but i do it a lot also uh outside right and the thing about inside to outside is the lighting is different outside right how you see through your peep like your peep when you're in bright sunlight looks smaller when you're looking through like it's harder to so you want to get sighted in for the condition as close to the conditions you can hunt so even when i would go to a 3d shoot or something like that and if i had sighted my bow indoors and i went to an outdoor one um i would check and obviously often do small adjustments on the on the range just to dial it in based on the lighting conditions and where i'm shooting right yeah it's important to shoot your bow out of your blind before you get out there i learned that the hard way last year <laughs> I got the new bow from Jay last year, and I hunted with the out of that blind the year before. But the new PSE's got that lower stabilizer mount, and I had my stabilizer set up in there. And when I went to draw back, just to make sure everything fit, I uh, my stabilizer was hitting the bottom of the window, so I sat outside the blind that day. <laughs> Chase plugged up broadhead through the through the blind last year, so oh yeah, we're. We're about on par, I guess. <laughs> and that often happens with guys who are hunting turkeys because, like, if I set up to hunt turkeys, I put the decoys 8, 10 yards away from the blind, right, because they'll, they'll come right in. 
So they're, they're so close sometimes that you're looking through your sight and you don't realize your broadhead is poking right through the center of the thing and you often shoot through there. So definitely critical to make sure you're putting a few arrows through that blind at, at the ranges of the scenarios you think you're going to encounter. Yeah, figuratively through the blind. We didn't Just to be clear, we didn't actually draw on anything. We just um, we were practice drawing and then when Chase came down, the arrow went through the blind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there's definitely like... A, a bit of a process that you got to get used to when you're when you're drawn back and drawn down in a blind i find either make sure your broadhead is out the window <laughs> when you're doing yeah, it yeah. or make sure you have enough room to to bring it back alan you were saying earlier that you you sh- with your tuning you shoot a lot of other people's bows yep and i was asking does that does that help with the whole muscle memory thing or like could you just go pick up your own bow then and hit a bullseye or what's the scoop there yeah, it helps a little bit. Like you get the the stamina from shooting other people's bows, but they don't fit the same way your bow fits. I'm shooting anywhere from 26 inch draw length up to 30 and a half inch draw length on other people's bows, and I shoot a 29 inch draw length. So it's it's not the same. It I mean, like I said, you get the stamina, you get the drawing back, you get all that kind of stuff, but it it's not quite the same for sure. I definitely should shoot my bow more than I shoot my bow because like I was saying, I shoot right now. I am shooting other people's bows three times more than I'm shooting my own. So it's, uh, it's something that I, I want to shoot my own more, but time constraints and stuff like that. What do you guys take into the field with you this year for archery equipment for bows? Uh, I'm still shooting my Matthews VXR 31 and a half. I'm shooting a, PSE Evo NXT 35. Nice. And is that, uh, you know, when we're talking about bows, is that like a Dodge Ford Chevy kind of thing? Or is there, what's the reasoning behind, uh, you know, you from, guys. From PSE to Matthews or Hoyt or yeah. Bowtech. Yeah, that's, it's the truck debate. Yeah, which one's better. Yeah. They're, they all have their slight pros and slight cons. Uh, it's a lot of feel. Um, I shot every bow that was out there last year and uh it really came down to the between the two the matthews the one that jay's shooting and the and the pse for me and i just i've always liked a little bit longer axle to axle bow so the 35 uh was a little bit more comfortable for me that probably comes from uh my tournament days shooting 40 inch axle to axle bows for for tournaments and stuff like that so it just it always felt like an easier transition for me to get into a 34 35 inch bow mm-hmm. but the newer stuff like that vxr 31 the riser is so long on it that it almost feels like a 35 inch bow but mm-hmm. just it part of it is mental for yeah. me i just I, I i feel like i need to have that little bit longer bow for the stability but uh yeah it, it's a lot of feel yeah You'll need a PSE Stingray. <laughs> <laughs> Jay used to shoot a Phaser 2, I heard. Uh, yeah, my uh, my mom bought it for my dad as a wedding present back in 1981. So kind of when I got into, I guess, archery, it was it was purely because I didn't want to wait till October to go muzzleloader hunting or rifle hunting. So when I was a teenager or so, I dug this old bow out of our old gun room down in the store and I just got into it and took that old beauty out there and shot my first two deer with it. So it still works. So that stingray might have a few more miles <laughs> left in it. It's dependable, if nothing yeah. else, let me tell you that much. What is, uh, I'm curious here because you guys 
uh, are both like are very involved in the, the archery kind of scene in Manitoba here. What, what was your entrance into uh, archery? Do you remember what you like your first bow or your, yeah, your first time drawn back? Kind of pretty thing? clearly. Yeah. My, uh, kind of similar. My, my dad got into bow hunting. I was probably, uh, 10 or 11. Uh, my mom bought him a bow for Christmas. It was a Browning. I can't remember the model, but it was a, I remember what it looked like, but, uh, she bought him that for Christmas. So he started going down to the range to practice, you know, in January, February kind of thing. And by March or April that year, I tagged along with him a couple times. My aunt had, a an old PSE that you could build from a kit. PSE used to sell a bow, wooden riser, wooden limbs. You put it all together at home kind of thing. So she had that sitting in the basement. So that was the first bow I shot. Uh, and then I bought myself, I shot that for probably six months. And then I bought myself a used McPherson. I don't remember the model, but it had a black riser, white limbs. And I thought it was the coolest thing in the world when I was 11 years old. And I bought that for myself and shot that for a year or so. Awesome. Yeah. And yours was uh, the phaser, obviously. Uh, yeah, that's kind of like, I was like in my formative years, I guess, I, you know, when, when you were hiding playboys under your bed i had peterson <laughs> hunting magazines and buckmaster and, that, and that's and i was obsessed and i don't know if you remember tnn the channel oh, right yeah, so yeah, i would yeah, tape yeah. you know every saturday morning i would tape all the hunting shows and i'd watch them sunday night and then i would rewatch them through the whole week like just totally obsessed and i remember i've got monster bucks five on uh vhs back in the day and i was like and these guys are shooting 110 and 105 and 125 inch whitetails and that's all it is which i think is great still yeah um yeah and i just was like i i couldn't get enough of it so dragged this bow out and went and sat on field edges and flung arrows at deer at distances i probably shouldn't have been flinging arrows <laughs> at and eventually one connected and here we are that's cool um oh man i got a couple of questions to tie into here but um before we leave the the like preseason stuff i'm curious as so you guys obviously deal with quite a few customers and quite a few archers and stuff like that and i'm sure you know your tongues get tied at times watching guys test shoot their bows down the alley or wherever it may be but what are some of the the common big mistakes that you do you see in like form or procedure that that guys are doing that they, that might be an easy fix for them to shore up their shot well there's three things that i usually look at in somebody's form, if it's the first time I've watched them shoot, I check their grip, I check their anchor point, and I check how they're squeezing the trigger. Those are the big three. The rest of it can kind of fluctuate, but if you need a, a good, proper, consistent grip, you need a good, solid anchor point, and you got to squeeze the trigger slowly, and you got to have that surprise release. And if you've got, if you can do those three things, the rest of it can kind of, you can fake it till you make it with the rest mm -hmm. of it. But those are the big three things. Right. And there's there's a few different stances out there. There's like the open stance, like a quarter open stance, a mm -hmm. closed stance. What do you guys usually do for stance-wise? I usually shoot open and I usually try to teach open because I think it's the most adaptable. Right. And it's probably the most comfortable. It's the most natural stance. Uh, I, I shoot open as well, and I, I generally try to teach that. Um, everything else to me seems, feels forced. Mm. If I'm trying to, if you're trying to keep your feet perfectly parallel and your toes even and stuff like that, or if you're 
even closed seems a little forced to me, but open just seems the most natural and the most easy to do. Mm-hmm. And you want to be comfortable when you're shooting. Yeah. And that's, that's a big thing. And that, uh, open seems to be the most comfortable. And, and closed, like you can't like closed is fine. If you're sitting on level ground somewhere and there's no wind, but like open, you can expand it really wide. You can bring it in tighter. If you're shooting at a weird angle of a tree stand, you can modify that in so many ways and still have a solid foundation. Like a good shot. I think always starts from your legs. Like if you don't have a good balance point, it's like if you try to shoot sitting down, you generally don't shoot as good as you do when you're standing up. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you don't have a good foundation to shoot from, you're not going to be as accurate. So definitely the open gives you a lot more ability to change it and modify it to get a solid foundation. Even if you're shooting on the side of a hill or out of a tree stand or at an awkward angle behind the tree or whatever that is. So definitely I would go with open. Yeah. It also gives you a little bit more, uh, forgiveness for bigger clothing because right. your, your front shoulder is not quite in the way your arms a little bit yeah. more out kind of thing. So it gets your bigger clothing out of the way. Your arms not getting smoked as much by the string too, right? Yeah. If you're, that has a lot to do with grip, but yeah. Oh, does it? Yeah. 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 Interesting. Cool. Um, does it, does that affect draw? Like your, how's that affect your draw? Cause I feel like if you're playing around with that, like it's gonna, the, how does the stance affect your draw? Yeah, like, yeah. It will affect it a little bit. It's not huge amounts. Um, quarter inch here, quarter inch there kind of thing, but yeah, it will affect it a little bit. Hmm. Interesting. Something to think about. Yeah. The other question I had looping back to, <clears throat> Kind of, we were discussing the early days, and I feel like out of most out of most of the hunting forms, like the bull culture has evolved maybe the most, maybe not the most, but it's evolved a, a significant deal out of um, as opposed to we'll say like rifle culture or something like that. Like whereas like I remember our uncle was maybe our first experience or foray into bow hunting, and uh, it it almost seemed like the wild west in some ways where like they were just they had all kinds of different like gear and doodads that may or may not work and like um there was there was no standard out there now it's everything seems very standardized the t- the tolerances are tight and like the there's almost a science to it now is what i'm saying um like it seems am i wrong in that assessment or do you, do you guys see yeah, that yeah the, there's less differences from like bow to bow these days as there were it was in the olden days um they're all good quality they're all made well machined aluminum risers and all that kind of stuff like there there's slight differences in the cam systems and in the geometries and stuff like that but they're all very similar um and even the accessories that are getting to be so many companies are making a limb driven drop away rest kind of thing uh and they they look fairly similar and work in a similar way. So it's getting a little bit more standardized. Having said that, there's probably more options now than there were in, in the past, but the options are less different. Hmm. It, it seems to me like the biggest thing I've noticed even in the last 10 years, like even 10 years ago, there was this huge race to make the fastest bow. But those bows were unshootable pretty much. Like they were... They were dogs to pull. They were incredibly fast. They would rip your shoulder off when you shot them, but they lit up big numbers through the chronograph. And it seems like every company has decided that, like, that push to, you know, get a 370 or, like, they, every bow is, they've maintained good speed around, you know, 340, let's say, for an average for a high-end bow, and, but made them way more shootable. So this, this race to, 
you know, have the best specs on paper, but be a piece of crap to shoot has gone out the window and seems like all the companies are really focusing on shootability and easy to shoot. And that's, that's why I picked that Matthews is because it's just as easy to shoot. I don't care about speed anymore. Like that's not a big deal to me. I just want something that's easy to draw back and I can settle in and it doesn't take a lot of thought. I don't have to be very paying attention to a lot of the shot details while I'm shooting. I can just shoot. Do you think that's helped level the field in some ways? Maybe like, you know, it's opened up archery to some other folks who might not want to, might not have been encouraged to explore it when the, when the, it was all about like those either high performance bows or those very early. uh, At that time there was still those shootable bows. Right. Um, There was still, you know, bows that are easy to shoot and they've always been around. I just think now it's, it's, it's allowing people to have, they're, they're building products specifically to be easy to shoot and have people, you know, enjoy shooting their bows more before other than, you know, being able to brag about who had the fastest bow or, or whatever it was, right? Like, because, I mean, if you shot a PSC full throttle, like, you would not like it. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a hunting bow. It's, it's, it's really designed to make the chronograph, say, 370 feet a second when you shoot through it, and that's about all it's good for. Hmm. Sounds like my next bow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I was thinking, you, you could probably sell me that bow. <laughs> I actually it, have a used one up on the rack. I don't want to buy it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's funny, though, that we talk about it. it and this has become like a, a common conversation that we've had. Uh, it's come up a couple times on the podcast. And I think I told a story not too long ago about how I went to Heights, picked up, uh, I got a Matthews Traverse. And uh, um, I think Ron sold me the bow. And I was like, crank her up all the way, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> I want that sucker at 70. And then... Uh, so I was shooting it and I was like, all right, I'll get used to it or whatever. And it was, it was, it was like manageable, but like, like you said, I had to think about the process and the shot and I had to have everything right. And then I went to seeing Alan and, and, uh, we're tuning the bear shaft tuning and you're like, ah, I'm going to have to crank this down a bit. I was like, ah, come on, man, <laughs> don't take that away from me. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's the accuracy improved, um, the shootability, like you talk about, improved for me a lot. I don't have to think about drawing the bow as much at all or holding the bow or just anything. So it's, uh, yeah, just a huge step in the right direction, I felt anyway. So, And going back to what Alan was saying before, when we're talking about the, the problems that we see with people shooting. I think overdraw weighting your bow is, like, probably the number one. Like, if you shoot your bow five times a year, probably shouldn't be at 70 pounds mm-hmm. when you go to shoot it. You know, if you're watching, if you can't draw your bow back with keeping your bow arm parallel, basically to the ground while you're pulling it back, it's too much weight. Mm-hmm. And with, especially with modern equipment and the draw length that you have, I mean, you could shoot 30 pounds and be getting a ton of power Yeah, just because of, you know, how long your draw length is. So don't overbow yourself. Make sure it's shootable. You know, it's and you want you want to enjoy shooting it because the more you shoot, the better you're going to be, and the more proficient you're going to be in the field. So, the bows nowadays are so efficient, and speeds are good, the arrows are good. You don't need. I know there's a kind of a push in the industry that it's gone away from speed, and now a lot of guys are looking for more draw weight. It's, it's kind of from Cam Haynes and Joe Rogan and guys like that, and everyone wants an 80 pound bow or a 90 pound bow, and it's and, and that's great if you can pull that weight and be comfortable in every scenario go for it i don't know that many people that can do that i personally can't i shoot my bows at like 63 pounds 
and that's where I'm comfortable. I know that at 63 pounds, I can draw that bow in, in minus 20 after I've been sitting there for an hour or two hours or three hours or whatever. Mm -hmm. But that overbowed is, is a big problem. Yeah, definitely. And like, if you want for a small fee, I'll make a custom sticker that says 80 pounds and put it on your, (laughs) we could probably market those. eh? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. And then, uh, so leading leading into archery season here, we've kind of gone over our setups, what we can tune, maybe some practice habits. Um, Jason, you were, you were saying you like to to hunt more kind of open open style hunting. Does does the like the heavier arrow help with that? Do you find like with the the longer shots that kind of stuff? Um, I don't necessarily like to. It just so what I was saying before was that I I built a setup for elk hunting where. I might be calling an elk into a meadow where there, there's going to be the, my target distance is going to change and it's probably going to change fast based on what I'm going to be. So that setup is built for that. Most of my deer stuff is in like I hunt out in 33. There's it's kind of sparse timber, right? Like it, it's fairly open timber. You can get shots out to 40 yards in, in the bush, which is about as, you know, in an ideal situation, but as far as I would probably shoot out a deer in the woods because you know again when you're putting on big clothes and it's cold and you've been sitting for a long time like 40 yards is a long way in, in that in that situation so it would have to be a pretty ideal situation for me to take that shot it's mostly you know sub 30 in that kind of in that kind of spot but i do like the open timber for whitetail hunting because i like calling and i like to see deer and you've you've got your elk tag this year too is that i do yeah and so you got you got some timeline up there with uh, a former guest here keevan erickson and you're heading uh out the lundar way yeah i'll be going out that way yeah that's exciting man like it's uh are are you optimistic about the uh the experience well, as long as my guy does his job I'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> but on the guide that's yeah. smart no i mean yeah I, i've hunted up there before i've, I've had uh, some pretty decent elk action that way um, I've never shot an elk up in that area, but it's, I mean, I've had some pretty good solid experiences hunting there. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm super jacked to go. Have you, have you shot an elk before with no. the bow? No. Yeah. Neither, neither have we. So I'm just, just <laughs> we're all in the same club. Yeah. yeah. Are you, I've eaten a lot of tags though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Us too. Are you, are you bringing something different to the, the game this fall? Are you kind of repeating what, or building on what you've done in the past? Or like, what do you, are you changing anything up is what I'm asking. Um, I guess, you know, with, with this summer we've had, I mean, it's going to be a pretty water-focused, you know, sticking close to water sources if we can locate them. I'll, I think that that'll be pretty key. I mean, right now, especially the inner lake is probably one of the driest places in the whole province. So um, finding water and keying around there. And even even food sources, like a lot of the fields, you know, are not growing anything well, right? Like if you found a good, solid, rich food source, which I think would be hard to find right now, but if you did, I mean, it's going to be it's going to be a good spot to look. And they're probably sticking to the timber too because there's browse and stuff in there for them to eat, right? So, yeah, don't tell the farmers if you find a good food source because they they might come cut it. Well, <laughs> I almost feel bad enough for them that I might I know, let yeah, them know, that's, man. That's a good point. Yeah. Big time. And Alan, your your whitetail focus this fall? Yeah, yeah. I might set up a stand. I got a spot that there's a, a few bears roaming around. I might try to shoot a fall bear. But main focus of shooting a whitetail. How was the uh, the second doe tag being introduced here? How's that going to treat you guys this fall? It doesn't. It's not in my area. Oh no. No. Huh. 
Super Jason. good. Yeah. I'm so pumped that it's back. Yeah. I know a few guys are going to be pretty happy about that. I know the archery area that we roam around in, it doesn't really affect it. But uh, I, I've spoke to numerous guys that are were waiting for that to happen. And uh, now that it has, I think it's going to be, they're going to be pretty happy about that. Not just the fact that they get to put more meat in the freezer, but it's it's <laughs> it's uh, it's nice to, in my mind to be able to pull the trigger on a, another animal when you know you're waiting around for uh, most guys wait around for a buck, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, especially with archery equipment, you know, it's nice how going with that confidence if you want to put a doe on the ground or whatever, right? Yeah, I think it's the perfect thing to like hone your skills, right? Like you know, you get a, it's low pressure, right? you know have to worry about i mean if, if you're into shooting bigger deer or whatever like that you're not sitting there trying to judge the antler size you're like that's a fat slick head and i'm gonna put an arrow in it and you know it's i love it i think it's it's like i look forward to that as much as anything especially early season right now i can go hunt in september and i can burn a tag shoot a deer kind of scratch the itch yeah you know because you know when the hunting season starts i want to shoot some yeah you know and it's with the one deer tag that we've had it's you know, you're like, I don't want to end my season right now. I like, I, you know, cause I like sitting, I like sitting more than I like shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, so the doe tag gets me the ability to shoot and then sit, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And often I find that like when it does come down to that moment where you get to draw back and it's like, you know, things, things are happening there that in your body, that are like they don't happen when you're shooting down range at the, at a target, you know, oh, yeah. excitement. Yeah, oh, I guess yeah. up. You're breathing a little heavy. Heart rate's up a little bit, and your focus is just not quite the same. And it's just, it's nice to go through the paces, go through the motions when when there's something on the other end there. Even that transition, like I find, you know, you, you'll sit. I'll sit there and watch does for days. Like I'll just watch them all the time. And that, like, there's, I'm, I mean, I'm enjoying watching them, but I don't get that adrenaline. And then I'll be like, oh, I'm gonna shoot this one. And all of a sudden, that just changes in your body in like two seconds and now your heart's racing all of a sudden yeah. even though two minutes before you've been watching this deer for th- and you didn't you know you were just enjoying it you're like okay i'm gonna shoot this deer now and then all of a sudden that changed yeah oh i totally get the the exact same thing and it, it's funny you say that because i always thought that i was like the only one that went through that where i was like don't tell anybody you get excited about shooting at a doe <laughs> if you're not getting excited about shooting at anything you should stop on I think. Like yeah. you got it, you got it. There's gotta be some excitement every time you let an arrow loose. That's awesome. Um and Alan, you were talking about a little bit about bear hunting and I think Jason I've I've spoken to you about doing a bit of bear hunting uh prior visits to, to the shop there. Um what do you guys think about getting a second bear tag in Manitoba? I know I feel like the the numbers, the populations here are just really healthy. Oh yeah, and I think it'd be kind of the same situation where a guy could, even if you had, you know, time in the spring to go out and get that bear in the spring, and then go back in the fall for one. Yeah, I mean, the area that I hunt whitetails in, there's just there's more bears than there are deer some days, so I'd I'd be happy to take a few more of them out. Yeah, help the deer population too. No kidding, big time. I know uh, we run into them quite a bit when we're elk hunting, actually. Even in cottage country, I know folks are, I've never heard so many people complain about bear encounters. So I, I think the Americans not coming up and having their the, the tags that they, they typically used. Um, I can't remember who we were chatting with, but they were saying like, 
I was trying to figure out what the draw was for bear hunting, and they were explaining, like, there's, hey, there's not a lot of black bears in some areas of the states, so for them to come up to Manitoba here and be pretty much guaranteed, like, a, a larger black bear is actually a real draw. So that made a lot more sense to me, but now they're not up here taking those animals, so um, I think we're seeing some of the repercussions of that now. Yeah. And there's totally. less forage out there for them this year, so they're probably yeah, totally. getting into cottage country a little bit more too, so people are seeing them a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But the the numbers are not hurting by any means. No. Mm-hmm. Do you want to ch- chat hunting a little bit more? or yeah? I think I have all the knowledge I need to go. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted uh, to just chat about the, uh, the shop life a little bit here. Mm. And I think, you know, I, I've always had this grand idea that being uh working in a archery pro shop would just be awesome because you get to see the latest and greatest gear and and uh you get to work on bows which i enjoy I'm, obviously i haven't leveled up my knowledge enough to to be a pro staff or not a pro staff but like a uh i don't know archery a bow technician bow technician there you go that's the word i'm looking for but um now that I get to think about this, like more and more, and every time I go in there and I, and I look at the the hours that you guys run at the bow shops, I'm like man, those guys are you got to be committed because it's a completely like you obviously have to target when people are not at work generally, right? So yeah, but you get two groups of that because you get a lot of retired guys right. that want to come during the day, and then you get a lot of people who work during the day and want to come in the evening. So. You just have to work all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's honestly, that's the biggest reason that I got out of the business is because I got two young kids at home and I was spending six to seven days a week at the shop and dropping them off at daycare in the morning and not seeing them till the next morning when I took them to daycare again. And it was, it was wearing thin. And I, that's the biggest reason I got out of working at the, working at the shop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a lot of commitment. Uh, especially if you're you're getting into that family life there what's some of the i don't know what's your favorite part about working in that archery industry like is there is it like seeing the latest and greatest gear that's coming out is it just interactions with with customers or what what uh what keeps you going in there every day honestly it's it's really about i love being like a small part of somebody's success story so whether they you know had issues tuning their broadheads and they came in and I helped fix that for them. And then they go and shoot a deer or an elk three weeks later, they come back and show me the picture. Like I got to be a part of that for them or teaching a kid to shoot. You know, we're seeing some of my archery students go and compete at national levels and do, and do really good. Like, you know, I'm, they did it, but like, I got to play a little role in mm-hmm. that. Like I maybe pushed over the edge, you know, some guy cuts his bow strings with his broadhead by accident. He's out elk hunting. He drives six hours to me and he says I need his fix and I get it fixed and I send him back out and it's all good to go and he shoots an elk two days later and he comes back and he's just totally jacked about this elk he shot and mm-hmm. I was part of that that in, in just that small way I, yeah, just, yeah. I love having that little connection to all these different people who get to get so much enjoyment from it mm-hmm. and knowing that I made it just a little bit more possible or just made it a little more enjoyable that's, yeah. that's what keeps me coming like back the, the central service to the, the hunting industry yeah 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 for me when i was at the shop it was very similar uh i love archery it's my life passion and so when i got to see kids come into the archery range and 
laugh like uncontrollably or smile uncontrollably when they pop their first balloon or hit their first bullseye or those kinds of things like that was that was what really drove me and then on top of it i got to talk archery all day Mm -hmm. and that's i could talk archery all day every day and be very happy (laughs) so that's that helps the thing that strikes me about archery is it and and as opposed to some other sports, like I, I, I play some volleyball or like golf. It, I've seen archery be super approachable. Like you get a recurve bow. Um, you don't need any sights on it. You just put it, like you said, you put a balloon up on the wall and walk 20 yards and you're, you're having yourself a time. Like I, I, I feel like, um, you know, Alan used to work at, um, Heartland there and Jason at Heights, like these are like kind of like little cultural hubs almost in some ways for the city of where like archery communities get to gather and like teach the new folks how, how to come into the business or people are curious about it. I'm sure there's lots of people curious after all that. Uh, what was that uh, movie there? Hunger Games. Hunger Games, Hunger Games yeah. came out, right? Big so, driver like, of business, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, but like, I guess you guys get to be a part of that journey and like, uh, introducing new people to sport and like kind of replicating that cycle. Like that's gotta be super rewarding in some ways. Definitely. Yeah. And it's awesome because it's, it's not a sport that's limited by anything like physical ability for the most part. Like, you know, pre COVID I was going up every spring for six, I would go up once a week for six weeks and teach three to five year olds archery which is the wildest time you've ever had teaching archery right like i had one kid and he every time he shot an arrow he dropped his bow and laughed hysterically he thought it was so it was like the most amazing thing and i would just sit there crying beside this kid because he was so funny to watch shoot and then you know i would go to uh becoming an outdoorsman that that wildlife federation i used to go up there and teach the archery stuff there and you know we had this i can't remember the lady's name but she was in her 80s and i think she was from bc and just a real badass and i had a tree stand set up for you know it wasn't a, it was like a bottom rung of a ladder stand maybe five feet and she climbed up there and was shooting arrows at targets like it's just it's not limited by anything right you know there's equipment for everybody there's size for everybody we can do it enjoy it together you can't wait i mean it's it is like you said like it's a community thing it's a cultural thing it brings us all together and we can all gather around the same same interest and you know you can bring little kids to that old lady in there and it's awesome i don't want to i don't want to harp on any um businesses within our community but uh it seems like there's some real benefits that i i notice that i miss if i go to some places versus if i go to like a more local shop in some ways we'll say um um that expertise means some of that that personal connection uh and also like uh, alan mentioned you like just start chatting archery me coming in as a you know someone that doesn't know a lot about archery i like to chat too like i like to bounce ideas off of people who maybe Mm -hmm. have a little bit more knowledge than me and uh i see that being a really value uh a real value of like these shops that you know have been long-standing cornerstones in our community yeah you get to go in and talk to somebody that lives eats and breathes archery and bow hunting rather than you know you never know who you're going to talk to going somewhere else. You might talk to a fishing guy. You might talk to a gun guy. You might talk to whoever, but you go into the into the archery store and you're going to talk to somebody that literally lives, eats, and breathes that sport. 
I was thinking that exact same thing while you're right before you said that too. Oh, yeah. I was like, man, the the value in these in the in the shops is just like the more interaction I have uh, going to the smaller shops is like just you realize how how important they are as a community and and just as like that having that resource there is just huge value for me anyway. I think anyone looking to get into it too. I don't know if you guys actually think this, but I also feel like if I'm buying something, I feel like you guys aren't going to sell me down the river kind of scenario. Like you, you're banking that I'm going to come back because I had a good experience there and I'm going to continue to get my equipment from somewhere that I trust. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to push product just for the sake of pushing product, right? Like I'm the owner of the business. If I do a bad job, you're going to come back and get mad at me about it, right? Like, that's not good. That's not good for my bottom line. That's not how you run a, a business that's successful, right? So I'm going to try to put the things in your hand that you need. Even if you want something that's more expensive and I don't think that it's appropriate for what you want, I'm going to give you my opinion. If you decide to buy it, that's fine. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to BS you and I'm not going to put stuff on my wall that, you know, or on, on the shelf that I don't believe in, that, that I wouldn't use myself, right? Like, I... I want to build that trust and the biggest benefit is you can call up and ask for me by name. You can make sure that I'm there. Or if you like dealing with Ron or Carrie or Dylan or anybody else that works for us, like you can call up and you can see that person you can, and you can build a relationship. You know, when you get into this sport or, you know, even like competitive long range shooting or anything like that, and you can start talking to someone and building a rapport. And, you know, I have customers that I've dealt with for 14 years who, only will deal with me and it's not like it's a down thing to anybody else in the store it's just that they've always dealt with me and they always trust me and there's guys that will always deal with ron and people that will always want to deal with carrie like they you just you're building a more personal relationship especially with something that people are so passionate about and invest so much time and money in like bow hunting right like it's not it's not cheap it's not it's a big time investment it's a big money investment and you want to trust the person that's guiding you down that path to make sure that you're going to be more successful in the field yeah, the the more I've been thinking about that, like <laughs> when when you're archery hunting, if if you're drawing down on a big bull elk, for example, do you really want a, that whole experience to be riding on Steve from the fishing department? In, in <laughs> some ways, like, yeah. like no no offense to Steve, like he might put me on the muskie every once in a while or something like that. But like, oh man, <laughs> I, I I'm starting to see, um, yeah, some I'm I'm seeing the light is what I'm saying. Yeah. It was funny actually when I when I bought my Matthews uh at Heights there. Um I came in to shoot some bows and Ron set a bunch up for me, I think. And uh uh there's about five of them there and I'd come from shooting a Hoyt and uh I had PSE in mind, but Ron was like, Shoot the Matthews, you're probably gonna like that the best. That's probably the bow that you're gonna walk out of here with. <laughs> And I shot them all, and I was like, that Matthew's incredible. And I was like, what about the Hoyt? And he's like, well, it's more expensive, and I guarantee you, you're not going to like it as much as the Matthew's, <laughs> pretty much. So I was like, man, this guy's not BSing me, so bring me through the tail. Yeah, there <laughs> like you Matthews. go. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he could have soaked you for another couple hundred bucks, but yeah. he sold you what was good for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I've, I've had a blast with that bow ever since, too, so it's pretty awesome. Um you have any uh last thoughts or well i'm curious like i mean we've we talked about specialization here a little bit but like 
Um, and Heights has been synonymous with archery in Winnipeg for s- such a long time. Um, but there's a, there's the firearm component. I was just sharing with Jason earlier here too that one of my good buddies had just bought a, a rifle off of him earlier in the summer um, off of consignment yet uh, with a really great story that maybe we'll share another time. But uh, it seems like you're, you're, uh, the firearm stock at Heights is uh, increasing and expanding by the day almost here, it seems like. Yeah, so we, we started growing that. When I started at Heights, uh, Ron was selling a lot of black powder stuff mostly uh, on top of the archery stuff. And then, you know, we would have customers in for bows who are, you know, a lot of guys do it all, right? So we were bringing in some special items because we did have our, our business firearms license to do that. So we were special ordering some things for guys because it was, you know, hard to get from any of the bigger box retailers in the city. Um, and then that just kind of started growing slowly and slowly. And then when wholesale went out of business, it kind of opened up a little gap in the market. Um, you know, big shop stop. So we started bringing in more and it's been growing and growing every year. And we just hired a, a new guy named Dylan who's uh, knows way more about guns and reloading and long range shooting than me. So he'll be starting up um, the middle of next month. And yeah, I think he's really going to help us you know, go, go forward quite a bit. And, uh, yeah, that part of the business is definitely getting a lot bigger and taking up a lot of room in the store now. Yeah. As, uh, the, the gun wall is looking pretty good there and, uh, well, multiple walls, <laughs> firearms <laughs> looking pretty good. All and, four walls look good. Yeah. Just to be clear. And, uh, you had a couple stacks of ammunition there that were like halfway to the ceiling too. So I was like, all right, all right. I like it. Yeah, we're definitely, uh, yeah. we've got a lot of inventory coming in. And I mean, right now it's just so hard to get a lot of stuff with, mm-hmm. especially reloading components and stuff like that have been very difficult to, to source. So hopefully that'll clear up soon. But yeah, I'm running out of room. Out of all, I, I panicked by, I panic bought two things through the whole pandemic. It was, one was gasoline when COVID first kicked off. I was like, man, things are going to go down. We need gas. <laughs> Well, all those jerry cans were full at one point. Not water. Not, Not food. Gasoline. <laughs> we got a we got a we got a well here. We're good. I'm gonna go shoot something in the back if I really need food. Um, and reloading components is the other thing. Someone told me that the the reloading stuff was getting hard to come by, and I was like, "Give me five pounds of this." And uh, I think yeah, I was IMR. Uh, no, not IMR. Um, H1000. I was if you have any uh, unopened pounds of that, I'll buy it off you right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's that, it's that tough, hey, right oh, now. Oh, yeah. That Rotumbo, any of your major uh, rifle reloading stuff, especially all the Magnum stuff, is I've had it on order for months. Wild. <laughs> no kidding. Get it? Well, you can. I And I meant to ask, like, did you, both of you guys being in the the kind of uh, outdoors business here, did you did you notice like an uptake? And I because we've noticed uptakes in like fishing and and hunting activities in some areas. Um, were you noticing that on your end as well, or like what's the what's the scoop there? Because of COVID. Yeah, because of COVID. I wouldn't have seen much. All the people that I deal with nowadays with the custom bow tuning are are people that are well into the sport. So Jay would have seen that more than i would have um i i don't i don't think i saw a lot of new people into it but i definitely saw an increase in um sales and what people are doing i think it was just that people who had money for a vacation or whatever suddenly couldn't spend that money on the vacation so they bought archery stuff or they bought a boat or you know like people who are 
you know, anything recreation like that is, has been a really strong business for the last couple of years. And I think it's just because people who had, you know, some income set aside for doing something else suddenly couldn't do anything with that. So they bought a new bow or hunting stuff. And mm-hmm. I am in that category. I bought a boat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's a good category to be in, just to be clear. Um, and so, like, Jay, what's on the horizon for for um, heights here? We talked about kind of like branching off into the firearms a little bit more seriously. Like, uh, where do you see heights going here in the next few years? Um, so we've uh, our website's been sort of doing a lot more mail order stuff. Um, I've got an Amazon affiliate thing that I sell with the the sh- gun shop and the hopefully I'm going to outgrow the space I'm in eventually and you know make it a reasonable to move into a bigger spot there but I uh, I really want the firearm business to grow I think there's a lot of opportunity there that I um, haven't quite reached for mm-hmm. for customers and stuff like that and still being offering as much as uh, I can be able to offer and I think um, the the new guy that's starting for us is certainly going to be a big driver in that because of his his expertise in it. So yeah, hopefully it grows into a point where I can retire one day. That would be great. (laughs) (laughs) So, and just to be clear on the firearm side here, it sounds like you're really focused in on providing like a a quality service with, you know, um, access to not only quality products, but you know, like informed decision-making and all kind that kind of thing. Like, yeah. So, I mean, and and that's the whole thing. So the whole part of our our business model anyways, especially with the archer side is like expertise. That's why you come to spend time with me because I, I know what I'm doing and my staff knows what we're doing when it comes to setting up bows. And as much as I tried my personally with that on the firearm side, I just didn't have that level that I think my customers deserve. So I sought out somebody to fill that role and he's awesome and knows so much about reloading and long range shooting and guns. And I think it's going to be, you know, if you're coming, you know, if you, if you come to me for bow service, you expect that expertise. You should expect that too on the firearm side. And, you know, we were just kind of functioning as a service now to bring in things that people couldn't get at bigger box stores or, or you couldn't source easily. So we did a lot of special orders and just kind of filled some niches. And now, with Dylan coming on, we're going to be able to grow into a point where we can really help the person with the knowledge of the people that are, that are running the gun counter. Awesome. I think a lot of people locally are going to benefit from that. I know. Hope so. Uh, yeah. 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 And I, I know myself looking at, um, buying a rifle, it, it's probably just like with your bow, it's probably better to get that that rifle that fits or that shotgun that fits as opposed to going with whatever's on sale that week or something like that. Mm-hmm. I would imagine. Cause I've, I've had my rifle. I'm thinking about my Remington there. I've had that for watches. Oh man. 15 years. Yeah. You got a good shift put on yeah. that sucker. Yeah. She's got a few notches in there. Yeah. It's uh, you know, get something that works for you and just, you know, when you think about that investment over 15 years, I feel like it makes a lot more sense to get something that fits, something that you're comfortable with, and something that's going to suit your needs too, right? So, and Alan, I'm, I'm curious too, like we, Chase has brought his bow to you to get tuned. Uh, we've had a few buddies um, go down that way, all very happy with your service. And like, where's where's your bow tuning moving towards? And like, are are, are you hoping to 
Yeah, in. I want to keep it exactly where it is right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to grow at all. No, I, it's it's a fun hobby for me. I, like I said, I I love archery. It's my life passion, um, and I've I've got I built up enough knowledge over the years of competing and working in the shop and everything. And it um, it all started when uh, the bow tuning stuff started when the pandemic hit, and I was sitting at home, laid off for I was sitting there for I don't know couple weeks and doing homeschool with the kids and everything and i was just i was going crazy and my wife said you got to do something and i had a buddy that was asking me to tune his bow while i was sitting at home and i said sure and he said well you should buy a bow press and so i kind of thought about it and i thought yeah i might as well try it and just see where it goes and if i can make enough make up enough money to pay off this bow press and put an extra 50 bucks in my pocket at the end of the year, I'll be happy. And so I've kind of limited myself to how many bows I'm going to do. I, I maximum two a week. And right now is the busy season because everyone's getting ready for, for uh hunting season coming up. And I think my next available time is like end of August that I can put somebody in. So I don't want to get any busier than I am, <laughs> but uh, if you want to bring me your bow in, February, I'd be happy to do it because <laughs> I do hardly any in February. But no, it's good. It, it, yeah. I'm happy. I'm happy to do as many as I'm doing, and I'm I'm happy. To, I love doing them. But uh, it's perfect. I remember connecting with you at uh, Grams. I hadn't seen you in a while, and uh, I was actually shocked to to see you at a in a context outside of Heartland Archery. <laughs> yeah. It was it was almost foreign, but I'm glad you're back in the game because I know you're you're such an asset to the the bow hunting community here, and that you're you know you're able to participate in some way here. So that's just awesome, I think. And it I think it speaks volumes to the community we have in Manitoba, whether it's you know the the local ranges that are putting out 3D shoots throughout the year and um, local shoots um, to the the shops and everything else, right? Uh, we were hoping to do a 3D or a bit of a shootout in Nipawa at some point. Like, I think there's just so many options for, for archers in Manitoba right now that uh, things are looking really promising. So I hope they continue that way. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's about all I got for right now. I think uh, any final words, gentlemen? What do you got final words for heading into the, the fall season here? What do you guys got to say? I think the the biggest thing that I would uh, hammer home is uh, like we were talking about earlier, get out there and practice in the hunting scenarios that you're going to be in. Shoot from your tree stand, shoot from your ground blind, shoot from awkward positions, all those kinds of things. That's the right now, like Jay said, right now is the time to do those things. Your other stuff, you're working on your form should have been done before. If it wasn't done before, well, spend a little bit of time doing that now but but definitely spend some time getting in those reps from the tree stand from the ground blind in awkward positions from your knees if you have to because you you never know if you're walking into your stand and you had, something comes in you might need to shoot from your knees try it all mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a i'm a big guy so i'm like lots of the ground blinds i hunt out of i'm on my knees shooting yeah so <laughs> yeah and the only thing I would I would say is that not I guess now, but when season starts, don't stop practicing. Mm-hmm. Like so many mm-hmm. people just pound arrows through the summer, and then August or September rolls around, and they just don't shoot anymore. 
and the next arrow they shoot is at an animal and they haven't shot for a month and it doesn't go well. So yeah, make sure you're still put, putting in some arrows, you know, a few times a week during season, mm-hmm. you know, don't, don't slow down on that. Yeah. It's a good tip. If you, if you shoot all the way to the beginning of season and then you don't shoot your deer till November, that's a long time. <laughs> yeah. Right. Big time. I can, I can see how it happens though. If like guys are putting their time in to shoot and then they're all of a sudden their, their priority switches to hunting, you know, putting all their free time in there. I even have a buddy who deer hunts and like, and he always has a field point in his quiver and he shoots a leaf every time he goes up in the tree stand, <laughs> just shoots it into the ground. I mean, I don't know if I'd be shooting arrows into the dirt, but yeah, he's, yeah. St- he's yeah. still, he's still taking a shot and checking his sights and shooting there every day. So, well, that's what I was just thinking. If you take the extra 10 minutes and at least fling like five arrows at a target before you head out, then you got, you're warmed up when you head to the stand and you, you're tuned up too for the rest of the fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I'm really excited to, to, I know each one of you here kind of has your own archery journey going into the fall. So I'm excited to kind of follow along that and, uh, see how that goes, uh, and, uh, see what the, the success or maybe some of the heartbreak that might, uh, <laughs> creep into some of the season here. So, uh, I wish you guys luck. I, I, I know it's an exhilarating time of year. This is almost like when the anticipation sets in for me, I feel like, where we, I start to get nerves and excitement starting to mix. Um, if there's a way to follow along on your adventures, what's the, what's the best way to follow you guys and see what's going on through the, through the archery season this fall? Um, anything I would post probably would be on my personal Instagram, which is Jason and Sweet. Or the Heights one, which is at Heights Outdoors. I will post every picture of all the unfilled tags that I have. <laughs> and when I'm done. Yeah, and uh, you can find me on Instagram with Alan's Custom Bow Tuning. Or I think my personal one's just Alan Gunter. Or it might be Gunter Allen. I don't remember. <laughs> Alan's Custom Bow Tuning. Yeah, I think it's Gunter Allen. But... Also, if anybody has like any questions or technical stuff they want to get in touch with me at work, um, it's Jason at heightsoutdoors.com. You can send me emails there or you can call the shop anytime or message us on our Facebook page, which is just Heights Archery and Hunting Supply. So we're all over the place. If you want to get in contact, if anybody's gotten any accessible questions. Yeah. Awesome. I appreciate you guys coming on. I learned a lot. Um, and I can't say that always happens, but definitely did this podcast. So, yeah. um, much appreciated and I'm, even more excited to head a field now and uh, hopefully get the dad bow working a little harder this year. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, and I guess my final words, again, I'll kind of mirror things that uh, Tristan said, but uh, in general, guys, just thanks for being the a, a big part of the archery community and, uh, yeah, just providing awesome service. I think I think that's huge for not only my needs and knowledge (laughs) (laughs) but uh just for the the sport and and the industry in general is is amazing i think that's what uh you know exactly what we need so thanks guys i appreciate it thanks for having me on yeah Thanks for listening, folks, to episode 92. We hope you enjoyed that one and took something away there. Before we let you go, though, we got to remind you to head over to whatever platform you're listening to. Give us a, a like, a rating, a comment. That's going to go a long way to keeping the podcast going here. And it uh, gives us a little boost on the charts, too. So look out, Meat Eater. Who's that? <laughs>
You don't need to know. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, um, make sure you head over to our store when you when you get them in too. We got some awesome twenty dollar tees that uh, our boy Shelly put together there. He was not able to join us on this episode, but uh, you know he's. If you want to get in touch with him, pick out some from the store because he's pretty much designed everything in store. Uh, hats, tees, sweaters, and we got some awesome stuff coming in right away too for the fall. So um, keep your eyes peeled and uh, follow along. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, anywhere. LinkedIn, TikTok, you'll huh. find us. We're blown up. Tristan, any f- final words? Man, I just can't wait for the fall here. I, th- I feel like we got so much content lined up that uh, if you're not following us on those platforms, you're going to be missing out. Yeah, it's going to be coming up quick. So go get your boat tuned, folks. Keep those hooks sharp on the water. And one for Tristan, stay hydrated. Stay thirsty. Stay thirsty.